high in the Austrian Alps, in a warm ski lodge, James Bond, Agent 007, sat in front of a fire. Well, another mission completed, thought Bond. He moved over on the lodge couch to let two men who had just come in from skiing have a seat. Uh, excuse me, your watch is starting to make clicking noises. Oh, so it is. Will you excuse me? Bond moved away from the couch just as a tiny piece of ticker tape began to come out of his watch. The message on the tape read, Urgent. Report to Secret Service Headquarters in London at once. Emergency. Well, well. No time for a little relaxation between jobs. I'd better hurry. another episode of james bond and friends uh this week james bond's been busy reading the brief from nasa about the new zodiac sign and calculate whether his star sign changed and then realized <laughs> that it's just all superstitious bullshit so i moved on <laughs> so i'm your fully host james page from my six and this week we are watching the spy who loved me that won an all roger poll this week yeah so with us this week, we have Bill, David, Ben, Calvin, and Dr. Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, I'm Bill Koenig, and uh, I run a blog called The uh, Spy Command. David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier, and this week I'm sponsored by nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it my go? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hi. Uh, hi, uh, this is Ben Williams here. Uh, I write for mi6hq.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I'm Calvin Dyson, and I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel, uh, reviewing many aspects of the James Bond universe. And if you've been keeping up with the ongoing saga of my uh, uh, fair use <laughs> disputes with uh, MGM, the claim on the Spy Who Loved Me review got dropped today. Hooray! Yay! Auspicious hey. hey. timing. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, actually, yeah. Uh, and I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond. I'm the editor, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And today I am drinking a, a, a mug of coffee that has Bailey's almond milk liqueur that I have frothed with my foaming rod, and it is absolutely delicious. Ooh. <laughs> That's quite a drink. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a Roger Moore day. I'm yeah, going to be fancy. James Bond would be proud of you. <laughs> I think so. Is, is that all it does? <laughs> <laughs> so if everybody's ready with the spy who love me, uh, this week's guest lion is uh, listener Steve Spring's daughter, Bo, is going to give us the, um, the lion roar this week. So... Everybody's ready mm -hmm. in three, two, one, play. Ah! 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 
remarkably good. That was fantastic. Yeah. I think that's that was... the best we've had. <laughs> yeah. It puts us all to shame. That was genuinely oh. an uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh. and it was queued up, queued up perfectly for for my for my end as well. Meanwhile, Roger Moore finally gets an electric guitar gun barrel for his only time in the series, thanks to Marvin Hamlish. Mm. Anyway, I I don't think anyone can um, who's who's seen the Steve Coogan special can watch this without right. just <laughs> thinking about um, Steve Coogan narrating this whole intro bit um there's nothing that i can say that he says better this um uh, this is this is perfectly kind of done by him there are lovely youtube videos out there as well where somebody has actually um just had just has the footage with him just narrating it over over the top of it which i think is great um nudity so- in films mm. yeah and also just like this um, this enormous submarine that they're on. That's right. Like it's just this Ken Adams idea of what a submarine should be is, yeah. It's funny because when they get captured, it's very small from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much, much bigger than my uh, London apartment was. Um. So the first of several British Armed Forces disasters at the start of Roger Moore movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kim Fortune there uh, has, a, has a very heroic uh, heroic moment later on in the movie. Um, That's right. We'll this, of course, is the first Bond film that has a Michael G. Wilson on-screen credit, although he's missing his middle initial. In the credits, it's also the first movie that Barbara Broccoli worked on, albeit part time as a teenager, writing captions for publicity stills. Huh. So she talked about so, that on a Hollywood Reporter podcast in 2017. Here's mm. another great Ked Adam, Adam set that we'll see for like a few seconds. Yeah, again, I, I, love, I, I love this set and it does feel hugely underused. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a real shame, but it's but it's so very Ken Adam, isn't it? So the red telephone means bad <laughs> phone call. <laughs> it's going to Moscow. <laughs> there it is. Um, well, so we went from a really big set for a phone call to um, Gotel sitting in front of a painting. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be really great if, like, he kind of just like pushed a chair back and it hit the hit the painting. One thing that I really, I was just gonna say, one thing I really like about this scene is the way that it plays with audience expectations, where it's mm-hmm. like we need to call our best agent, and it's set up sort of in the typical Bond style where we think it's the man who's the agent that they're calling, but instead it's actually Anya Amasova. So I, I like the way they play with our expectations from I right think too, off that. You're, you're absolutely right. I was just going to say exactly the same thing, Lisa, and the fact that they use uh, Michael Billington, who was several times in the running to play Bond, mm-hmm. um, also kind of is part of the, the fake out, if you like. Um, He's got a bit of a lazenby. You know, just to kind of... <laughs> 
it also it also it also meant they couldn't use him. Yeah. So that maybe this well. was Roger's idea. <laughs> <laughs> should give this role to Michael. That's great. Real quick, this thing has a th- thing from uh, Maurice Jarre music from David Lean movies because we just had Lara's theme from Doctor Zhivago mm-hmm. as the music box, mm-hmm. and then we have some of Lawrence Arabia score later in the movie. Um, they got a they got a discount two for one. Yeah. Um, so this, of course, also is the first movie um, after Harry Saltzman left. And um, back in those pre-internet days, news didn't travel that fast, at least not with me, because I didn't find out about it until I went to my local library and there was this enormous issue of variety that I started paging through. And there was this full page ad and it said, Albert R. Broccoli presents. No Saltzman, like, oh, well, that's news. <laughs> that's news. Oh, and it said that, you know, Lewis Gilbert was directing it. So it's like, huh, well, it's finally back on track, but Saltzman's gone, huh. And then later in the same issue, in the back of the issue, there was another full page ad that had it said, a guy, it's in script, it says, I have just read James Bond of the Secret Service by Len Dayton, Sean Connery, and Kevin McClory, and it's the greatest screenplay I have ever read, signed Irving Swifty Lazar, who was this powerhouse agent and it's like what what the hell is this <laughs> i had never heard about this before <laughs> and of course nothing came of that particular project but that of course was the first sign that i had that kevin mcclory was on the warpath again so and you had to wait how long before further news <laughs> <laughs> six years seven years <laughs> something like that. here we have bond in banana yellow yeah <laughs> yeah the, fir- oh, wow. the first of the first of three uh, Banana yellow outfits. Uh, I did run a Twitter poll to find out who. See, which see one's if Mark the best. Forster were directing this, Bond would be in black also with red stripes. <laughs> and you couldn't tell who was shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd also be a lot of there'd also be a lot of snow kicked into the camera as well, so you can see what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this has to be one of my favorite ski sequences. Across, and I love ski chases. This, just because it's in Canada, Lisa. Just <laughs> no, but yes. Is this in Canada? I mean, I know the jump is because mm-hmm. I, I think uh, John Glenn does a really nice job of editing, of making it look like this place is the same yeah, place with the jump, whereupon yeah. in real life, the place the jump is this fairly small spot. It just goes up way high up in the sky. I could um, be wrong, but I'm, I'm assuming this is the Alps where they – probably Switzerland or um, Austria. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's where they normally go for these kind of these big open ace sequences, isn't it? And there goes Michael Billington's future as James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Shot out of a film. Mm. Right, so here we're in Canada. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I remember. I remember seeing this um, at the cinema when, when it first came out, and it just this stunt was. It just seems to go on forever on the big screen. It's fantastic. Mm. And you, well, you, they had yes. seven cameras set up, but this was the only one that caught the jump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it just seems to go on forever and ever and ever. You, you know he's going to get out of it, but you just can't see how it's going to happen. <laughs> mm. Well, one of the times I went to this in the theater, there was some little brat in the theater said. A parachute, oh my God, before he opens the parachute. So obviously you knew about it, like you little, bitch, you little shit. <laughs> uh, 
1977 spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> you say that this is one of the most iconic Bond moments because just yeah. even the parachute yeah, itself, yeah. people are like, this is Bond. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that even the ludicrousness of, of the fact that it's a Union Jack, you know, like he would be displaying the country of his origin. Um, and the fact that he's wearing, you know, banana yellow, it, it's, it, it's completely ludicrous, but also iconic um, and yeah. I think that's kind of partly what Bond is at this point is ludicrous and iconic mm. um, and um, you know by this by this point as well I think um, you know particularly with the with the changing kind of tone for the, the, the theme song you know with, with the lyrics he really you know people really do believe that nobody does it better so it's kind of um, they're kind of playing to, to all of their strengths, I suppose. This also was the first time you had a Bond actually participate in the titles, um, mm-hmm. both both in uh, real and silhouette. Um, yeah, and it was, Morris Binder was going to have this whole sequence about pyramids um, originally mm-hmm. and then realized that the pyramids, pyramids don't crop up until like an hour and change into the movie. So um, <laughs> but wrote that back. Mm. Well, it is one of the ones that takes, I mean, it is just sort of women sort of doing gymnastics around on sort of like red and blue um, colored slates. It's uh, it, it certainly has the least to do with the film itself, I think, of most of Binder's titles. Um, like, I don't know if, you, you know, you could probably change the credits and put this at the front of almost any of the Roger Moore Bond films. But I think it is brilliant. I think yeah. it's probably his best. I mean, I guess the I only like, thing the, you can say I like this that, bit too with the uh... yeah, a little little humor in it. <laughs> you know, there's a little kind of he knocks him over. Yeah. <laughs> no, with um, regard to the, yeah, the gymnastics, I mean... with regard to the gymnastics, I think the um, Calvin was saying you could put it in any film, but um, I, I think Russia and gymnastics has, has or at least used to have quite a strong association and so i wonder how much of it is to do with that mm. 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 giant luger um careful walter it- too close to the painting so is that chair not real no, the chair's real, but everything behind the chair is a painting. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. It's such oh, a cool yeah. office. I know that it's, you know, to contrast with M's office, which is, you know, quite stuffy, full of books and stuff on shelves, all that. And this is just like stark with just like these odd chairs scattered around. Uh, but it's really effective. This but who would pre- sit on that chair? Like, I, like, even when we're thinking about like these rando chairs, like... Do you put somebody in the corner if they're a bad agent? Like, yeah. it's just, For, I don't understand the function of the chairs. <laughs> yeah. you, you, bring, you bring someone you're about to torture and you put them in that chair off in the back. <laughs> well, right? you, you, you don't understand the, 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 the function of them, Lisa, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know. You, 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 uh, you sit on them, but you can't take them with you. <laughs> um, so, so, social distancing. Real, um, real quick, this film probably has the greatest number of writers who participated at one time or another. Um, Cause I remember in the buildup to the film, um, DC comics played up big time, how one of their guys had been hired to do a script for this a guy named Carrie Bates, who 
he was a writer on Superman. He was a writer on The Flash. And uh, so DC Comics promoted that uh, quite a bit, um, you know, ahead of filming. And um, but he was just one of maybe a dozen, uh, something like that. Yeah, we will get into that probably as we go through, right? Because there's elements that came from different writers. This is um, Fastlane, the nuclear submarine base in the Argyle in Scotland, which is may or may not be revisited in a future outing, coming soon or not soon. <laughs> maybe or maybe One of the not. things that I like here is seeing, I like seeing Roger Moore in the naval uniform. And it's something that I, I do oh, yeah. miss about, or I think is missing from Daniel Craig's tenure, is really sort of this pronounced representation of his actual, or at least his 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 rank in terms of his roots. And so I like seeing him in all of these costumes um, uh, throughout. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of these admirals is played by Robert Brown, who would later play M. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's the okay, is, did Admiral Hargreaves get promoted? You know, get assigned to being M or did they just recast the actor? I always assumed he did, but does anybody think he's just playing the same M as Bernard Lee? Uh, Raymond Benson does. I mean, I just, I've, I've seen people make this, make the case, uh, you know, it's, it's so ambiguous. You, you can make the case either way. The one thing though, that, that throws the thing that he's different. And again, it's happened well after is, uh, the world is not enough where there's a portrait of M in that uh, MI6 place in Scotland. But not one of Robert Brown's M. Right. Um, Going back to what you're saying, Bill, about the writers, I was digging through like the different um, screenplays the other night. And the the thing that jumped out to me was John Landis's idea for the pre-title sequence was Bond almost getting beaten by a robot. (laughs) And then it turns out to be a training exercise. Hmm. Ooh, never say well, never well, again. <laughs> well, Carrie right. Bates, who I mentioned uh, mentioned go a minute ago, his idea was actually to make Drax the villain, and he was and his script would have brought back Tatiana Romanova, except as an agent, and um, so and and there are like some elements of his things that do kind of make this in 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 terms of the tanker snatching subs, but uh, others did that as well we should really point out if um for those not aware that they weren't officially allowed to use anything from fleming's the spy lovely novel mm-hmm. right except yes. the title but they, they kind of cheated a little bit well, right I which think, we'll, let's I think, wait till um, we get to that <laughs> fleming fleming also forbid the book to be um, released in paperback, which so they don't really necessarily follow everything that he uh, wanted. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So early, another early introduction to the Bond villain. Hmm. Yes. Mm. And two films in a row with Tabasco. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder whether they were going to keep it going. You know, um, <laughs> I feel doesn't like really he, go well with cucumber sandwiches, though, does it? It would have been it would have been great if you'd just hand waved the cucumber like the Tabasco away from the cucumber sandwiches. No, no, Jay. <laughs> well, either that, or ha- either that or have a cucumber sandwich with a Bloody Mary, and then Tabasco. Oh, very nice. Bloody Mary. Yeah. 
all, yeah, this, all these ideas we get 40 years later. Anyway. <laughs> I think this is an interesting way of introducing a villain. I'm not sure if we'd get it really in a film today where it's just, you know, all of a sudden we just cut and we're with this guy who we don't right. know. Bond has right. no relation to this at the moment. Neither does Anya for that matter. Um, it's so interesting that we have this quite prolonged sequence of just something so seemingly irrelevant yeah. at the moment. Yeah, the only thread is he mentions the tracking device, which, you yeah. know, they were just brief. Well, they didn't know about a tracking device mm-hmm. in the previous scene. It was like they suspected Right. How do they do it? Yeah. yeah. So you're right. There's no establishing shot. We don't know. I guess that's part of the reveal here is there is no establishing shot because we're about to find out where mm. the water, but mm. well, and that's, that's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Cause you, you, you need to have that reveal. I was just thinking about his fireplace. You know, he likes a nice open fire. I was just wondering where he's going to get the logs from when they <laughs> the dry fire, they, dry firewood. Yeah, yeah from, from under underwater city. You, you have beauty. Here is death, and here is firewood. Um, <laughs> also, we had the uh, insert shot of his webbed hand. Mm. So, he, so he's a little bit of a mutant, I guess. Mm. Um, but very few people pick up on that. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's always the kind of thing that you really only notice like third or fourth time watching. Yeah. They're just the yeah. prosthetics aren't. I guess maybe it's good that you you know they just blend right in with his skin. But right, it might be like Doctor Zoidberg with two. Doctor Zoidberg doesn't like to shake hands. <laughs> Well, or, or, I am not uh, going to be able to watch this now, James, without thinking of Zoidberg. Well, or, when, or when Tim Burton did the penguin and like turned his hands into like a oh, yes. whatever it was. It was yeah, he only weird. had like sort of three appendages as opposed to five or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, was, which was definitely not in the comic books. <laughs> I like Roger Moore in all the publicity interviews called him Carl Fishfinger. <laughs> now, I made a comment on on Twitter uh, uh, ahead of ahead of this uh, commentary about um, the model shots that are used in this film, and on the whole, I think the model shots are pretty good. But I never really got behind this um, uh, oratory, oh, laboratory. Sorry. Um, I never, I never really kind of felt like it felt that big. Mm. Um, right. Well, it, I think it's a very difficult thing to scale in models, isn't it? Yeah, I was about I just, to say the, the well. physics come into play with water. Um, but they do yeah. it so well, Bill, with the um, with the the part liparus and the uh, and, and the submarines. They seem to work very, very well. Oh, no, uh, yeah, um, not really. I think um, part of the reason uh, the disconnect is that the geography of the place like is completely all over. If you try to sort of like pinpoint like mm-hmm. where the lifts are, where Stromberg's uh, you know shark room is in relation yeah. to the lift, it doesn't quite work. No, I, I, I agree. I think it's it's a, a thing, it's like a concept art mm. taking, and then, and then you've kind of got to you, you just imagine all of this stuff is taking place within this environment. Yeah. And and the two don't necessarily marry up. Although I have to see some of these uh, these mat shots here are pretty good. Um, fantastic, yeah. Also, we, yeah. we just met uh, Richard Keel as Jaws, and Keel had been an actor since about 1960. Mm-hmm. He 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 uh, he was very experienced playing menacing villains. I mean, he 
I mean, I saw something he did from 1960 in a, it's a anthology show called Thriller hosted by Boris Karloff. And, uh, so he goes at least that far back and, uh, and the webbed hand again, but, um, he, um, yeah. So he was concerned that there wasn't a whole lot of acting to do in the roller jaws, uh, yeah. um, but he was, <clears throat> he was third choice. It was, um, is it David Prowse or Prowse? Prowse. Yeah. Darth, yeah. Prowse. Darth Vader was first choice, yeah. and Jack O'Halloran was second choice. Um, who was in Superman movies? Yeah. I oh, finally yeah. noticed yeah. the web hand. And actually looks somewhat like Keel as well. <laughs> Can we talk hmm. about the deaths that just happened? Because I know that you know when people talk about like arch villains and you know how how horrible and mean they are. Uh, Stromberg really doesn't, you know, he's really not on anybody's radar. And yet he not only killed um, his his female companion pretty graphically by having a shark eat her alive in front of these two men that he's doing business with. But then he sends them off and then like destroys their helicopter. He could have killed them at any time. Mm. And so I think I find him to be very interesting and calculating in the way that he manipulates these two guys, scares them and then decides, hey, I'm just going to kill them anyways you know, take the money back or reverse the, the transaction. Mm. And so I, I, I just don't think he gets Never mind the cost of the helicopter. And the pilot, yeah. <laughs> and the cost of the helicopter, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote it off on his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that there is that shot of the two guys just like shaking hands, like they're so pleased that they've got away and then it blows up. It's just yeah. really funny. I was about to say, just before um, this meeting, they took a, a minute or so to kind of establish Bond riding in the desert. It's like today I can't imagine them putting in a scene like that. We'd go straight to this. To no, this it would meeting. be um, it would be Bond slowly fading towards a bus stop in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Well, this whole thing is a very sort of long sequence of him just kind of following one lead to the next to the next, and like this whole chunk is. I mean, you could take out any of them really just have bond like yeah. arriving in cairo and you know going to um meet with that lady but uh i guess this is scene setting um yeah i yes. mean I, I i think it's establishing that yes this is this we're really filming in egypt we're, yeah. we're, we're not faking it this is not this is not cgi in the background not that they would have thought that in 76 but uh but it's also uh, a way to populate the film with more women who are expressing attraction to Bond, right? Oh, good and, point. And, right. and his, yeah, he's going to a different place. And no matter where Bond goes, women seem to be, you know, gravitating and looking towards him. And I think, I think that's a component of this as well. Mm, yeah. yeah. And camels as well. <laughs> camels camels are, are just attracted to Bond wherever he goes. <laughs> Um, as long as Bond isn't is this what worth pointing out it's worth pointing out that Roger Moore was like just about turned 50 right mm. yeah mm. And 40, he, was, that, he was 49 they would have been filming this in the fall of 76 yeah. so yeah it's 49 compare that to a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Connery and Diamonds of Forever at 40 10 years younger yeah, mm. yeah. 10 years god yeah yeah hmm and like I said, yeah. this is more scene setting, but it's, you know, it's, it's again, establishing this is, you know, this is a real place as opposed to a studio backlot. Mm. And I like that this film has a lot of those where you see Bond being small or minuscule compared to the setting around him. And I like seeing that much space. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just, that's one thing about this film that I really like is, is the way that he's framed in relation to the architecture around him. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask a question about, we're about to come up to, uh, Bond's about to meet this lady. Yeah. Um, and he's either, she's going to sacrifice herself for the sake of him, or he's going to use her as a human shield or something like that. When, um, a gun's or, off. I think choice, I think there's a third choice. I think, yeah. uh, I think the guy's a bad shot and he hits her and <laughs> he's then gets his gun out and starts shooting back. Can I, I, I don't think choice. he uses her. Okay. A fourth choice, which is, he was told to clean up all the, the you know the the leads basically mm. of, and so she would have been part of that chain, right? Okay. With Fekish. Yeah. So, I think but he's I, there to kill her, and he complicates the plot, as it so. Hmm. But okay. but I don't think Bond uses her as a shield. Yeah, it's well, it's it's weird because she's not in the angle of that bullet she does she is sort of moved around to so, be in it so, but the thing is nobody like nobody knows the bond is coming there like as james says like he's he's cleaning up this end of the of the she is the target not bond at this point oh right. they're there to kill her not to kill bond he's just he is finding the connections um outside of this so he's just turned up and the assassination is for is for her hmm. that's how i've always read it anyway yeah, because right. how would and then, how would stromberg have known about bond at this that point? makes sense and then and then even if even if bond were not an agent then he'd probably go after bond just simply because he was a witness hmm. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I, I just so want to make i think a, it's a not it's not explained on... particularly well but I want to make um, a comment on the, the fashion of this uh, scene or these scenes. It's uh, mm. flares. He, his his trousers are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they that's amazing. that's what I was thinking about during the uh, Family Feud game, but uh, <laughs> I guess um, wrong. <laughs> so this is the second appearance for Milton Reed in a in a Bond movie. Yes. Um, Obviously, uh, he, but almost a third, or rather, I mean, he was uh, he was second to um, uh, the guy that cast for uh, Howard Sakata for uh, Odd Job. Mm-hmm. Um, so he nearly got cast as um, Odd Job, but then obviously came back for, for Sandor. Um, but was both both movies? He's in a villain's lair with water behind glass. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's very true. Didn't talk about that. It's a great, um, it's a great fight. Considering Moore is just not a fighter. <laughs> considering um, Moore is doing you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, no, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's straight out of the Saint, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Say it with us, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a great Pyramid's great weather. Ah. Yeah, there we go. What a great death. <laughs> what a helpful chap. I've always enjoyed the locals like out on the balconies just watching the filming of the scene, presumably. Yeah. Quite nice. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting to watch. I mean, he had the opportunity to do anything with this guy, and he literally just took his lifeline and like slapped it away. And there's like a hard edge in some ways to more. I always think that we think of him as being sort of the humorous Bond because he always has a witty quip, but 
he's just as hardcore as the other Bonds. Mm. Well, Louis, Louis Gilbert was very vocal that um, they had tried to make Moore be too nasty in The Man with the Golden Gun, and he wanted to reel that back. Yeah. But that thing with the necktie is kind of like, well... All right, I'll let it in there. Mm. Um, but if you compare, like, in The Man with the Golden Gun in a similar scene where he's sort of interrogating a female character with uh, Maud Adams, and he's it's the vilest oh, he, he gets, oh, like, yeah. slapping her around, oh, yeah. trying to break her arm, all that kind of stuff. And then here, where he's more sort of seducing the lady, trying to get the information out of her that way, it's a very stark difference. I do think of the first half hour of this film as a reestablishing of what a Roger Moore Bond is. It feels like they have a better sure. gra- grasp on his version of the character in this than in his previous two films. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, yeah. Whilst we're on the subject of people playing two characters, this is Nadim Sawala playing Fekish, who later turns up as the police chief in Living Daylights. Mm. Oh, okay. Also, father to Julia Sawala, who British folks oh. will know. Ah, I did not know that. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's also, uh, absolutely um, fabulous. I only found, found that out because I was absolutely. <laughs> I only found it out recently because I was absolutely infatuated with her when I was a kid in high school. Aww. <laughs> yeah. um, I can say yeah. that now because my wife we're, doesn't listen to these podcasts anymore. We're, about, <laughs> we're, we're uh, seeing Richard Keel again. I just, I just remembered. Um, I'm not going to name them. This is a couple cutout of Roger Moore, by the mm, way. Yeah. That shot, that, that single shot there. Sorry to That's a very off. cruel review of his acting. Though, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> oh. But sorry, sorry, Phil. I didn't mean to interrupt. But that one shot is like it's about the only bit of like um, trivia that I can bring to the, yeah, I, to the I, whole I, movie. I, didn't know that. I was looking at the, that, exactly so. that Ben, and just before you said it, and I was going to comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> So I can I can go now because my job's done. <laughs> um, <laughs> See y'all later. <laughs> uh, press gang, Julius. Hi. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I was just going to say about Richard Keel. Over his long career in the '60s, he was in at least three spy shows. I won't name them because one will set off the clocks. And <laughs> just but, one. Uh, Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's not the Wild Wild West in which he was in four episodes, and it's not I Spy, which he was in right. one. So it's the third. It's the other one. Right. It's the uh, other one, which he was in two. So Get smart? Nope. Well, you know, he might have been. I might, I might be overlooking that. It's possible, but I don't know. Dangling the carrot right here. No, no, no. no. Yeah, the other one, he was in the pilot uncredited, and then on another first season episode credited, so. Oh. Like, so, God. People giving up to easy deaths. I mean, this a is. Blood, a bloodless, well, he was a bloodless knocked death. out or at least uh, dazed or whatever. Mm. So, are we supposed to infer that he ripped his neck over? Throw it out. Yeah. His, <laughs> That's his, exactly his what we should. Because there's no yeah, blood. No, I've never quite got it. And I, I was asked There's also that no swearing in this movie either, but doesn't mean it ha- didn't happen. <laughs> I think um, well, Max Caliber. Roger, yeah. Max Caliber has blood later on. Uh, I like a drop. And he, and, <laughs> well, and, yeah. and uh, but still, yeah, you're right. Max, a blood. What uh, of it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he does swear as well. Uh, when Jaws comes in to kill him, he goes, "Fucking hell." Just before he dies, so um, yeah. So there is not, swearing. It's not, in the, it's not in the cut that we're watching today, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah really. I'll tell you what. I, 
I'll, I'll do it when um, when the time I, comes up. I'll, I'll substitute the line for you guys. I think, right. I, I think the uh, strongest <laughs> thing Bond says in this movie is blast. Um. <laughs> I want to incorporate that into my vocabulary. Blast. Yeah, we need to bring we need to bring blast back, don't we? Oh. Oh. And, and we're and we're about to see Roger Moore and Martin Grace fight the uh, thugs right. from Anya. Mm. Which in the novelization, in the Christopher novelization, I swear I bring this up far too much. So oh, in, indulge don't me. Go ahead. Um, I read it. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. This sequence is replaced Martin Grace. by a, a sequence in which Bond is actually captured by the Russians, who are far more antagonistic in the book than they are in the film. Uh, well, they attach electrodes to his scrotum and yep, electrocute and him. Turn, and, yeah, flip the switch. Yep. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah. very interesting, and it's a shame we don't have Roger Moore performing such a scene. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Positively shocking. Yeah, lends, lends a whole uh, new meaning to that line. But, yeah, um, but it, it just right, raises would eyebrow, he say, wouldn't he? Would he say, <laughs> instead of saying blast, he might say nuts? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Lisa's Bailey's kicking in. Oh, <laughs> I like you guys. You're funny. <laughs> so, and, and me, meanwhile, meanwhile, if uh, Egypt ever uh, is the site of a revolution, this is where the uh, masses will go to tear everything up. <laughs> <laughs> so while they were while they were Sorry. filming this this sequence, there's a bit of controversy because there's a pretty um, disputed Roger Moore lookalike contest taking place. Yeah, it, it raised a lot of eyebrows. Oh, <laughs> unintended. <laughs> oh, but here we're about to get the, we're finally a small bit of continuity. We're about to have a mention of uh, Tracy, mm. not by name, but uh, they're showing off how much they okay, know about each other. major point. Uh, yeah. uh, major point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, given the way at the time how they like swept point aside taken. majesties for years mm. it was like what they're mentioning it again mm. <laughs> i love i i think roger's just great in this i mean mm. whenever like there's a couple of um in inverted commas uh bit, bits of acting that he does in this film which i quite enjoy to be honest with you um we'll get we'll, it actually has my favorite bit of roger acting in it which is um coming up later on um when you know spoiler alert she finds out that he he uh Mm-hmm. He's responsible for um, Serge's death. Um, by the way, this bit of music is very often not very often covered uh, by recording artists, which is so surprising <laughs> to me. It's very surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I thought my, they would use it just for, lately, just lately, for like my, the centenary my... editions. You know. My, my wife's sick and tired of me playing, trying to play the James Bond theme on electric guitar. So maybe I'll try this instead. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be really really good, David. Because I think it's the sort of thing that Moby should do an electronic cover of, maybe or something like that. Would be really, I'd, I'd buy that. Or at least they could, maybe they could it. maybe they could add lyrics to it and turn it into a song. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does it better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh it's just, it, it, 
if they can if they can turn the theme to Dr. Kildare into a song and make it a uh, top 100 song, then they can do anything. So I have a true. question for you about her dress. I feel as though mm-hmm. the scene between the well, two of them walking, well, I know, right? Well, the scene between the two of them walking in the desert, I think is referenced in Quantum of Solace, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you think that her dress here is being referenced in No Time to Die. Mm. With Anna Darmas. Like she, they, I, I love I, the I, fact that that... Sorry, just the way that James and mm, just as just as Roger went, just as Roger kind of raised the background. They're both interested in my comment. They're both like, that's a very good good point, Lisa. And... Oh gosh. Oh, sorry, my my ADR dub has to come in any second. Right. Um, Just uh, quickly, Barbara Back was uh, cast two weeks before the film started, and um, they looked at some. Uh, I'll let you do this, man. <laughs> <My hell. laughs> <There you go. laughs> so but I do like the way that. There. But I like the way that this scene is shot. Like this, to me, is probably the most terrifying death by jaws because you have sort of these cuts you've got the music the cuts between you know the dance which i hope they have a chiropractor on set because there's a lot of neck action and then you just get the slowness and shot of his mouth so we don't need to see the actual death i've always found just the combination to be pretty horrifying especially being you know when i was younger watching it like oh gosh jaws is somebody to be feared Mm. so just thought i'd throw that I, i like the way that all the elements work together he's a proper like slasher movie villain in this first sort of like 45 minutes or so like with his uh yeah all of all of his um yeah so, killings. So this, this, all, all this, the way this, until he drops the boulder on his toe there's yes. blood there we go there yes. we go a few drops there yeah yeah so yeah, more, can, more can, than a few like a, a streak <laughs> oh the gust of wind um yeah i i think that um to calvin's point about you know how how they've set jaws up in this i mean and they do it again it, when we did the Moonraker commentary, we talked about that uh, shot shot yeah. of him going down the. Uh, uh, Roger it's, it's Moore a, and Martin Grace as James Bond. I'll, yeah. I'll put it into the drinking game that I'll inevitably forget to do. <laughs> but um, going back to the Barbara Back thing, they were looking at Hollywood actresses, and um, Broccoli never said who it was, but one of them asked for half a million. Ooh. And I said no. And I think it's Catherine. Um, how do you pronounce the name? Deneuve. Oh, the French actress. Bruce. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. French huh. blonde. Yeah. Does mm. a very good Russian. She, she was one of the shortlist, and I think that's who would have commanded that fee, mm. or at least tried to. She would have been great. Mm. Uh, well, that, that uh, makes know. sense. That she she was she she was a pretty big star at the time as well. Yeah. She's also a, a an actor who can, you know, deliver lines Ooh. as if she's as if she's meaning them. <laughs> wow. And 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 can she actually maintain the same accent through a whole movie, do you think? I just, quite quite probably, yeah. Uh, the funniest thing one of the funniest things I saw picking this up again was Barbara Back insisting all through the production that she did the accent, even when not in character, because she didn't want to <laughs> slip the accent. 
It's too bad she didn't do it while in character. Is the, so that's all the, the press, all the interviews she did, everything behind the scenes, everything was with the accent. So we're watching sort of like a Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver level of method right. acting here. Is that, yes. uh, is that the case? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, By the way, one of the uh, I, I talked about how kind of gradual the buildup for this movie was. One day I was looking at. Uh, the Indianapolis newspaper, uh, and I was in college at the time, and there was this little publicity still. It was of, of Barbara Bach in a bikini mm-hmm. standing back to back with Richard Keel. And like, and I've seen some other publicity stills in more recent years. So that was like, but it was just that one still and a little headline and a little caption. That was it. Like they just kind of dropped well, it on the page. She, she didn't want to do any of the, uh, quote-unquote cheesecake photos that were very common up until that point. She actually refused to do any bikini shots and stuff. But they eventually talked her into doing like one or two shoots with a bathing suit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's the only pictures that really ended up getting used by the press. Now, She really didn't want to do it. She wanted to be in the Russian uniform and stuff. And mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, in this sequence, uh, Marvin Hamlish is channeling John Barry from the beginning of uh, From Russia With Love, the stalking sequence. Mm. It's about to start... I think here in a second. I mean, I've got the way down. And now, this is a great sequence, though. It is quite <laughs> ominous and suspenseful. It's it's very. Good. It is. It's, it, I also like the way that they've kind of made Jaws not look kind of this um, brainless idiot. kind of idiot up until this point. He knows that they're following him, mm. and they seem to be. And he plays them all all through this point. You know, he's above them right now. You know, he's he's really kind of the one who's in charge here. And right up until this point, about to start now, guys, when they bump there, <laughs> starting um, here. Um, but you know, right up until this point, he's he's a much more formidable foe. Mm. And then later on, he just becomes fairly kind of bumbling, but. Mm. He like, transforms into Wiley Coyote when he drops the boulder on his foot. Yeah, you could never quite look at him the same way again. But does anyone know where the name Jaws came from? It seems like such a like a an obvious reference. It'd the, be like sort of there being the, a, a the, henchman called book. Avengers Endgame in No Time this, to Die. It's, this was two years the- after the movie. <laughs> it's like that's yes, that's it's. If it's obvious, it's, it is. Huh. <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of taken from the book though. It's not his name wasn't. Jaws, but it was horror. 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 Yeah. horror yeah. yeah. Um and his and his teeth he had I don't know whether it was but like they're kind supposed of like, to evoke a, they're supposed to evoke a shark's teeth. Yeah. It's 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 yeah, there's it's yeah, it's like there was that super successful movie two years ago. We're gonna steal that. I, I just can't believe that it would just be so like blatant and just uh, like literally Jaws. Oh, trust me. Uh, sitting Calvin. in the audience, everybody knew it in, in seventy seven. <laughs> Calvin, a film, a, a, a space film came out, That's right? <laughs> and, uh, and then they went. They made Starbond. Should... Yeah, Starbond. Yeah. So yeah, they are. This is one of the things that I find kind of interesting about the franchise. Is it started off being very much a leading thing. You know, it kind of was the. You know, it always kind sets of sets the tone and the trends. It, yeah, it sets the tone and the trends. Bob but, Simmons but coming up. But then, yeah, it, but then, at a certain point, it yeah, started to it started the, to follow. 
the when 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 I talked to my dad about um, seeing Doctor No, he said they'd never seen a film like it when it came out. It it was Mm. just incredible. That's interesting because obviously this is in like a run of Roger Moore films where what we have black exploitation, we have kung fu, we have aquatic themed, we'll have space themed next. It's it is all yeah. just sort of aping other genres of the time. And it and it does. It's about what was successful beforehand. And you fast forward to you know die another day, and then you know the born, born identity films in the two thousands. Yeah, um, and suddenly. Yeah, suddenly that you have a, again a, yeah, a, a, a change, and the rate that they make the movies now, they can't do that anymore. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Because the series they're copying may have run its course, but the that's right. The movie comes out. Can we talk a moment about the dynamic between Bond and Anya? Mm. I feel as though yeah. there are moments in here where she's presented as being an equal to him. So I love the fact her hair is in a ponytail, showing she's down to business. It's not about femininity. There was the shot of her between Jaws's legs, which we get in For Your Eyes Only, one of the most iconic posters of Bond through the legs of a woman. Uh, and so you see sort of just sort of these images um, where she is being presented as being, you know, this, this co- um, hero to Bond, and yet her name is Agent Triple X, which works to sexualize her. And of course, as the film goes on, she sort of goes through what Waylon goes through, and she's captured and sort of shuttled off. And Bond is is sort of in the primary heroic role. And so I'm wondering where you think the dynamic shifts. Does it shift in this moment with this car? moment here when when Bond starts taking the piss out of her driving? Yeah, I, yeah. I think this is the turning point of a turning point and especially when she starts falling for him i think that's yeah well yeah. she she, she gets her own back in the boat though well, yeah. I, I think she. I think here she does quite well. I mean, she has the you know the shaken, not stirred line, which they. I it. I don't think it works terribly well, but they play it like Bond rolls his eyes, and I think they play it as like, oh, she has won this battle of the puns, as it were. I think it's much later mm. on, probably in Sardinia. I think it's a real shame because the setup of this is fantastic, like Western agent, right. Russian agent. This is a perfect, and I think their dialogue scenes together are quite good. In the action, she never really gets anything to do, and in the climax, she's going to be whisked away. Way and tied to a chair and need to be rescued. Um, I can't think of. Does she have much, any fight sequences actually? Um, oh god, I think she knocks someone out on the Laparis later on, but that might be about it. And it, I think that's a shame. I think they do a much better job actually with Doctor Goodhead in the in the next film of making them more level pegging. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think they can't quite decide on how they want to <laughs> how they how they want to present her, and at times that she, you know she is more than more than his equal, um, you know, but uh, and at other times kind of she's playful ass. Um, so I think it's 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 not consistent writing. It's not a very consistent character, but there are great moments within it. Mm. Um, and it really is kind of the first time that they've tried to do this Bond, Bond's equal uh, kind of character. So I think it works. I think it works mostly. Um, Here's the Lawrence of Arabia theme. Yeah. Yeah. Just waiting for the bus bus to come in to focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, 
Bill, would you be able, I don't know how much you know about like the background and the scripting. And, and I think you mentioned before that there were multiple writers and maybe some of the Yeah. So maybe the inconsistencies with her character have to do with the mm -hmm. fact that you're having input from so many people coming into it from different angles. And so Bond can be consistent in his representation, somewhat consistent because it's James Bond. But I, I think I, it feels sometimes that it's sort of like a patchwork quilt of who she's supposed to be. Well, since you bring it up, Albert R. Broccoli in his posthumously published autobiography claimed he and Dana Broccoli went through the various drafts and essentially like patched it all together. And he claimed credit for essentially the final, the final script. And supposedly when they were, it was like maybe on a long plane ride or something. And then, and then uh, the Broccoli's presented it to uh, Lewis Gilbert and Lewis said, ooh, ooh, and ah. Oh, this is such great. I've never imagined a producer could do this. Ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> now again, that's, that's in the autobiography and take it for what it's worth. But I suspect it is probably true in a basic level that yes, I think there's, even if you worked on a script without credit, chances are ideas of yours get woven in there somewhere. Uh, and in fact, it's similar to Tomorrow Never Dies. Didn't have quite <laughs> as many writers as this, but they did their best. Yeah. I forgot uh, to mention when we did that a couple of weeks ago, and the, the, the character of Anya suffers the same fate. Um, Wei Lin was originally called Lin Pao, and she was a bit of a different character in the original screenplay. And then, of course, they rewrote the third act and just weakened her character off. And I think... Lisa and Bill, you're right. I mean, that's effectively what happens here. Mm. Is they kind of forget the agency I mean, of the character and just stick her on the railroad tracks. Yeah, which is kind of you know ironic considering that's what um, Bond does with the uh, Good Night in Man with the Golden Gun novel. Novel, <laughs> you know, it's just like it's kind of like literally, you know literally but, ties it to the tracks or whatever and it's kind of yeah but having but having said all that though i do think in the in the context of the series i think anya is one of the most important characters in it because she is the first of the bonds equal i mean like you have all these actresses say i'm bonds equal and all this she stuff. says it and she says it in interviews at the time right i think it was the first mm, I don't know if Anna Blackman went that far, but... Um, no, I don't think she did. But you know what? She didn't have to because she had been in the Avengers where she did a lot of mm -hmm. martial right. arts stuff. So, like, she did not have to go to that extent. People knew she was tough. Um, and also, at that point, you know, this was the third movie. You, you know, the whole thing about Bond's equal wasn't a thing yet. Um, Acting! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Roger's most impressive stuff in the film. Yeah. But, um, I'm, it's a joke. It's a joke. I like Roger. Some of my Bond friends don't. Um, I did wonder if he had gotten a facelift because just a minute ago, when he was like first rising, it was like there was this one spot on his neck where he had like no wrinkles. He had wrinkles on his face. Like, well, Sorry, I, uh, I remember actually I think, thinking that first run, <laughs> I saw it's like, did he have a facelift? Could he? I think I, he was know. supposed, and, and I don't wish to, I don't speculate, but um, I, I remember hearing that certainly for um, A View to a Kill, he might have had something done around his, his eyes. But, uh, he had his mole removed. <laughs> he had his mole <laughs> removed. I mean, that's, that's clear. Um, yeah. Well, you know. Anyway. 
Oh, and we're about to finally hear M's, at least his first name, because Google calls him Miles. Hmm. It's coming up. Um, so, so you know, like a little breadcrumb for the literary Bond fans uh, in the theater watching it. I've been to both of the, the locations that we, you know, the, the temple locations that we've seen uh, in Egypt. Um, really, it's quite stunning kind of, kind of place to be. And then this sort of segue into the set, which is done really nicely. Um, you know, that kind of going down the stairs there, surreal location into, into this um, Adam set, which is quite, quite well done. And poor Lois um, Maxwell does not get to stand up in the film again. This this in Moonraker, <laughs> she has to sit the whole. She has no close-ups either. It's very no. yeah. They really what a terrible it's, it's very odd. These two well. films. Oh, and Gogol's got his red phone with him. It's like wow, <laughs> MI six has rolled out the red carpet for Gogol. <laughs> or maybe he just packed his what own. The- <laughs> <laughs> Byop, bring your own phone. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, just this idea just occurred to me. I'm wondering if someone in the art department got was a smart aleck and is like doing like obscene messages. Yeah, with the I'm, hieroglyphics. I'm pretty sure yeah. if, you, if you decoded the hieroglyphics in the art department, it's probably, yeah. <laughs> probably we're underpaid slaves or something is the uh, translation. <laughs> we're getting bad food on this location. Oh, God, that's not the art department. Let's not go big, there. Big thing is spaghetti. No. <laughs> no. Um, um, but I, I will say that this is quite a nice little thing when he comes in there and he sees Gogol sitting there and you, and you don't, there's, there is a, a brief moment where you don't know what's going on. And, mm. um, so often in the Bond movies, you know the formula, you know what's going to be happening, you know that there are no real surprises in store for you. You know, Bond is going to make it through at the end. Um so to have something like that where you actually get the audience to go, what's happening now? Mm. Um, you know, it's quite it's quite a nice little thing to throw in there. Like okay, Q's had plenty of time to set up his lab. <laughs> but do yeah. you not find it interesting that, again, this is supposed to be M and his counterpart. You have Bond and his counterpart. There is no counterpart from Russia for Q. Right. It's still nope. just you who's the, the, the mental expert. And it really does relay this impression that even though these two nations are working together, that, you know, Britain is still the superior to them because of all of their technology. So I always found that interesting yeah. that there isn't like a Russian queue somewhere. Yeah, that hmm. cutting edge technology, like a spring in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be saying to Russian agents, yeah, be careful about the chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't sit on a camel. So, in this in this briefing scene, uh, M is going to be like kind of warm to Bond. Very good, James. Whereupon in the first two Roger Moore movies, he seemed to barely uh, can't stand the guy. Yeah. It's like parents at a spelling bee. <laughs> oh, this is the Bishop's is Mitre line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a Bishop's uh, Mitre. I, I, <laughs> um, I think people should be aware that when we do these podcasts, uh, we have little titles for, um, you know, for, for, for loading up. And uh, this one is, it is a fish. Um, <laughs> 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 and, 
I, it always tickles me uh, every time that we, we we do those little little lines and um this 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 is particularly good i actually laughed out loud when i got the um the link i, wa- <laughs> I wonder in this copy of the script it said anya parentheses ever the expert bond ever the expert and i go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Ooh, it's nice i like that it's gogol's idea to like formally put them both together as well it doesn't come from m it's just gogol leading the way right. yeah uh just yeah. talking about you know, the, the Russian equivalent of Q. Um, I was chatting to somebody on Twitter yesterday about uh, Blofeld's Q. Does, does Blofeld have an evil Q? <laughs> and, um, you know, just the idea that, like, you go, well, we can we can hollow out this volcano, but it's going <laughs> to... It's going to cost you. <laughs> it's going to cost you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, Blofeld didn't need a Q. He had Ken Adam. Yeah. yeah, I just I just love the idea that he's requisitioning, you know, yeah. three hundred and seventy uh, odd odd jumpsuits. Well, can you imagine the, the construction period of that crater? Was like, right. you know, what did the villagers think? Oh, here come those guys. Well, again. you know, it's like <laughs> it was. No, it was like the Great Escape. They would just have these guys walking down the mountain and then <laughs> shuffling their shoes and the the dirt that they would just come out. Yeah, island appeared. Yeah, there'd be this pile of pile of dirt that was the same size as the mountain. <laughs> and they were and they were Caucasian they were Caucasian at the top of the volcano and they were Japanese when they got down to the bottom. <laughs> in in a reverse bond kind of way. Um, I guess I think we should save that for the you only live twice right. watch along. I, but, I, uh, yeah. I do I do like the fact oh, Bond that, like, had a champagne ready. Presumptuous Mr. Bond. I like that he's sort of, you know I was coming. I like that he's sort of moving the glasses around in the champagne and listening in like ah oh, yes this is exactly where it should be when she's going to knock. And <laughs> That's right. I've just got to make sure that the audience can read the label. <laughs> well, <laughs> and she's listening in too so I don't know. Uh, I read oh, it. I read yeah. it. This without Jaws's interference here, she was about you know to open the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a sea of beige. Mm. It's lovely, isn't it? I'll just hang my oh, beige, my brown po- jacket up on my beige. So he's got a brown, my... brown striped shirt with a brown striped tie. I mean, that's a fashion no-no. And, and <laughs> oh, she's wearing you know very chic desert-colored clothing, but it's, it's from the House of Beige. Of, yeah, the reason she's the reason she screams is because she's, she's she's fighting. Not, she ineffectually, she, but okay, she struck a couple blows against Jaws. We were one. She only screamed away. because he's wearing blue. And <laughs> it, it offended oh. the color palette. Oh, mm. there goes the champagne. I got to say, um, my dad had a shirt just like this. <laughs> so it was it was on trend. Oh, I you know what? I think this is as close to Casino Royale as we get because Jaws is pretty tight in on below the belt there. Mm. I thought you were going to say that he looks a bit like Daniel Craig. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen to that Sam Mendes yeah. commentary uh, podcast with uh, the other the other mm. week, saying that they tried really hard to make their train fight suspenseful and everything, and f- and admitting they failed. It's like, yeah. oh. Boy, I was thinking they were referencing from Russia with Love, but I mean, they didn't even beat mm. this one, did they? 
No. no, I think Roger's really good here. Like, look at this. This yeah. is some uh-huh. good acting from him. Like, yes. this is terrifying. Yeah. I like the fact that Bond's getting his butt kicked. Like, he really is outmatched. If he doesn't use his resources and his smarts, he's not going to get out of this situation. No. And he really pulls no, off the fear. Also, also, we're about to have Bob Simmons, who's well under six feet, uh, doubling Richard Keel going out the window. Hmm. But there he goes. Can, I just, can I also just say that Bond clearly doesn't understand how electricity works? <laughs> right. So No, no, the screenwriters don't know how electricity <laughs> works. Okay. It all worked out. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> I like that reply. And Jaws just brushes himself off and straightens his tie. Like, I'll get you again, Smiley, Bond. Smiley face of the briefcase in the background there. Just... Yeah, looking on, looking on, very yes. approving, approvingly. Yeah, emoji suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're hurt. I have to look at you. I like that she has some kind of mural in her uh, cabin. As someone who's travelled on it's, overnight it's, trains, it's, they're not it's, that uh, nice. It's a, mu- not, it's, a mural of the, it's a mural of the dirt mountain in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was just, just going to say, Calvin. Months, I, months, I, I later, actually, months uh, later, there was an inquiry about MI6's spending on this train. Like, did you what? <laughs> you spent how much on that cabin? Uh, spending, a, spending a night in a cabin on a train uh, oh, isn't Lett. all it's made out to be. It's uh, quite a horrible experience. No, it certainly is not. <laughs> Ruin that shirt now. With some color on it. Um, <laughs> this, this was supposed to be, um, I think, the first scene that that she shot, Barbara Buck shot yeah. for this, um, and she had a number of difficulties um, performing it. And I yes. think that there were there was a moment where um, Roger had to take her aside and just be like, "You you just need to do this because they they'll." Um, They'll say goodbye to you if you can't nail yeah. it. And um, no. her boyfriend was sitting watching in the set, and apparently, because it was his idea to put her up for the movie, was apparently like getting smaller and smaller and smaller in his chair as the takes went on. <laughs> was mm. was was that a guy named Danny Risner? A yes, it was. UA executive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Have you ever seen anyone in any other form of media kiss like Roger Moore does in this film? Like that sort of no. sucking in of cheeks. It's really. No. <laughs> disconcerting yeah, and i've never <laughs> seen any awful. any other form of media anything where anyone has ever made that sort of face no, no. it's 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 the anti-kiss isn't it really? <laughs> it's sort of like so there's there's, qu- there's literally nothing romantic about it real quick she calls him calls q major boothroyd mm-hmm. now he hasn't been called mm-hmm. boothroyd since from russia with love and I've seen some people like speculate. Well, is Boothroyd really cute? Yes, yes, he is. But um, you know, but they called him only Q for so long. But this was just one tough. little reminder Ooh. about that's his so, name. Bond puts his luggage in the trunk, but she has to sit with hers up front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, everything she owns is in that in that tiny little hand. Anyway, um, he's got a long walk back home now. <laughs> yeah, back on that ferry, off you go. So this this shot here of the of the car coming in is actually um, like a like a production shot of just the test of this mm-hmm. the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite interesting. So this is the role that Barbara Park was supposed to be playing. Um, yes, uh, that, that she was up for. Um, 
And that's why she, cause she was like, oh, I can do that. That's no problem. And then suddenly got, um, you know, they got the Valerie Leon. Yeah. God, what a yeah, cool though. Dress. That dress, it always, well, sorry, it, it just takes me out of it. Like the frills on that dress is <laughs> going on. I, don't, <laughs> sorry, I think you... most of the audience weren't looking at the frills. Uh, <laughs> like, uh... I think the well, frills were like supposed movie... to be. Never mind. A movie with frills, say, frills and spills. No. You've got the frills on the on the collar and then water later on when he goes. So he kept his, he kept his brown striped tie. There, there yeah. is a real well, sort of, and he's a beige suit. You know, it's like I guess he really shopped at the house a bit. There's, a, there's a real blue and be- <laughs> there's a real everything blue and beige. beige. <laughs> uh, blue and beige. Everything is blue and beige. It's sand and sea. It's like yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess it's and flared trousers theme. <laughs> yeah. yeah, flared trousers. <laughs> Yeah, but I can. I think that that's a really good point. I mean, the, these I are the still colors say that are very flared trousers was a decent answer on that game, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you could make Sorry. three pairs out of three pairs of trousers out of those ones he's wearing. <laughs> I love Nomi's um, uh, what what is it? A dressing gown or what? What do you call that material? Shawl. That she's like shawl? a ship. Shift. Shift. A shawl, a shift shawl. I love shift. it with the beads and everything. I think it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be on the 007 store next week for $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> but they're only going to make oh. two of them. <laughs> so, so coming up here, it took me Sorry. about three or four times to spot it. There is a, you know, the boat is going and the camera pans from the boat. And there's this little edit between the, the boat and the model, but boy, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. right here. It's a really oh, slick, you can barely yeah, tell that edit. It's really good. It's a, it's, it is a good edit. And also I uh, just in that shot where you've got a composite of the reflection mm-hmm. of Stromberg's face. Floating head. Model, Stromberg. That, yeah. It's, it's very, it's a very nice composite shot. Um, and really sells the notion of this being big and also the low angles that we're coming in at here from the helicopter well, in the background to sell that. Foreground miniatures. Scale. Right. Yeah, and and remember, this this movie got an Oscar nomination for art direction. Mm. And when, um, yeah. it just had right, the bad so. luck to come out the same, you know, to be up against Star Wars. Um, mm. And uh, in fact, this was nominated three times, the first Bond film to have multiple <laughs> nominations. Because uh, I made a joke about this a few episodes ago. I watched it. I, I watched uh, all three losses on YouTube. Oh. Um, they went 0 for 3, but uh, yeah. well, it was not for lack of effort, clearly. But yeah. if your movie's Mrs. not Stromberg made by anybody else, really like yeah. So she just said that uh, Stromberg doesn't like to shake hands. But Bond, hands. who always likes those dry handshakes, can't resist. Yeah. <laughs> so what's yeah. the first thing Bond does? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. ruffle some feathers. Yeah. It's weird that Stromberg has an aquarium. Does Stromberg have feathers? <laughs> no, but if, I, if I was obsessed with water, I don't think Deep Shack would be my choice for carpet. But. Yeah. Also, Ken Adam has had said that um, he wanted to experiment with new shapes, and here it is, you know, oh. on display in this set with all those uh, to be, ovals. To be fair to Ken, I don't think they're a thing. I don't think new shapes are a thing. <laughs> I think they're a new shapes for him because. <laughs> In his case, you know, we're all, those slanted, ago. all those slanted, all those slanted roofs. Oh, never mind. I can't top the joke. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. That's why I'm, 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 I'm uh, the designated straight man on this episode. I, uh, I call this the circle. <laughs> I call this the wheel. This set, by the way... Can I get a packing on the wheel? <laughs> this set, by the way, is really well translated to a multiplayer level in the game uh, Nightfire, a James Bond game. Yeah. You, it's, it's a really good representation Don't, of this. And let's not, yeah. for, let's not forget Egypt and GoldenEye. Yes. Oh, yeah, we, absolutely. We also, yeah. we also mentioned earlier the Christopher Wood novelization of this, and I think that novelization is probably the closest we can to actually marrying the film bond with the literary bond. Mm, mm. And this scene in particular, um, so like in the novelization in Bond's inner dialogue, he's kind of like mentally sweating this out. Cause mm-hmm. like, can you identify that fish? And he's like, Oh, 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 mm. digs like the deepest recesses of his mind to find it. Um, whereupon in the movie, it's, you know, effortless, but um, yeah. Well, speaking of the other the thing fish, too, is it doesn't, it doesn't even matter though, because he already because he already knows. Strongbow, he already knows. His strongbow's like, is that the guy? And he's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Bond, but Bond doesn't know. Stromberg knows, so no, that's it's, true. It's at some we, level, it's important. Can we go back to talking about the fish? I know Calvin started mentioning something about the fish and the aquariums. What was yeah. that point that you made? Uh, just that the, the, he would have a base that literally went underwater and yet he still found the need to have an actual aquarium inside the base. Presumably right. that's where this is. They're the, oh. the fish that have been bad and have been imprisoned. <laughs> um. But I think it's a really so. interesting point that you know you still, as a villain, you, you keep certain fish again you're keeping them captive or you're, you're separating mm. them out or hoarding them, however you want to look at it or admiring them. Mm. Um, they're I just they're not prisoners. Point. They're his most special fish. <laughs> <laughs> they're the fish he wants to keep closest to him. But that also relates to what happens to Anya, right? She becomes that quote unquote fish that he wants to keep close to him and strips her down. And that's the only time she's wearing a somewhat bikini. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, I, I think that there's like, there's a lot here about containing, controlling um, uh, when it comes to him and, and the way that he sort of acts, whether it's fish in a tank or or the women in his life and the way that they appear. Yeah, It's a good point, Lisa, because that bikini is not her choice, not just as not her choice as, as right. an act, a, a actor, but as mm-hmm. a character as well. She's not, it's not something, it's something that he's put her in. It was um, years also, before I realized that he ate the fish food. Oh, I love yeah. it. It's so good. Yeah. I didn't notice that till now. <laughs> it's so weird. But he has no problem with eating. He was eating, um, he had like lobster or something on his plate earlier on. He's got no problem with eating marine life. He's a cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> the, the novelization goes in, into detail of his uh, backstory and stuff. And uh, it, much more of his sort of reasoning. For, in the film, It's I guess it kind of, he just wants society to move underwater. And that's the reasoning. In the novelization, they make more of a point of he's just completely mm. nuts. And his aspiration right. is just to destroy the world. And that's just well, what he wants. Well, okay. What I talked about earlier with the script, how some idea can still, the writer may not get credit, but the idea travels along. So like one of the ideas, and this was a Maybaum idea that got rejected, was he had a script where like these young terrorists 
knock off the old guard of Spectre and they take care and they don't care about uh, blackmail or any of this stuff. Right. They just want to blow stuff up. Mm. And so like Probably later- said it was too political, didn't they? Which right. is ironic because the whole point was is they were apolitical, but- mm. Yeah. And so like later, you know, uh, when Bond and is talking to Stromberg, he says, okay, what do you, how much do you want for not doing this? want any like no i'm just i'm just gonna do this and that's so that's like a little tiny remnant of something that mm. got you know that carried on into the final product mm. and and stuff like that because there at one point uh another script had triplet uh assassins tic tac and toe mm-hmm. and obviously that didn't make the film although the general idea got into octopusy with twin killers. Mm. Um, but, but clearly they were looking for like a unique henchman or at least a different henchman. And so jaws is what we got, even if it ripped off the name of a popular movie from 1975. But, um, Mm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's how this kind of stuff can carry over in the screenwriting process. And like, you may get, you know, nobody knows you worked on it, but your gem of an idea somehow gets into the film. Mm. When I when I was about twenty two or twenty three, um, I, I, I went off, I was sent off on my my first ever business trip, and it was to Sardinia, and it was end of July, beginning of August, and I was there for about ten days, and we we hired a, a car, not a Lotus Esprit, unfortunately, but uh, hired a car and. Uh, toured the island as much as we could because we, we found when we got there that um, the place that we were working was only open in the mornings and they took the afternoons off because of the heat so we just went to the beach and mm. it, it's a fantastic island it really uh, I, I, I've never been back and I, I, I'd love to it's uh, uh, it, it's yeah, I'd, I'd love to visit it looks, yeah, it looks I, I mean mm. it, 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 it's kind of condensed Mediterranean it's lovely and uh, it's um, in many respects, you know, it, it's like it's like what you imagine Italy would have been like fifty years ago or something. Mm. Just a quick word on uh, Carolyn Monroe before she uh, exeunt. Um, she's a yeah, she's a she's a very lovely person. She'd done um, she'd been a model and done the modelling for Lamb's Navy Rum. Um, and some of those uh, posters from the 70s are very, very cool. I think that's pretty much what would have – I mean, obviously, she'd done some stuff with Hammer as well, um, you know, uh, some horror stuff. Um, but those uh, those Navy Rum uh, ads, I think, kind of like brought her to the attention of, uh, of the Bond producers. Um, she's, uh, she's a very lovely person, um, and I've had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with her. And um, – now, whenever I watch this, uh, it kind of gets me a little bit when she uh, when she gets blown up. Um, that stunt is actually performed by the guy that delivered the car. Yeah, uh, I talked to him. A, the, the, I talked to him a few years ago, and um, yeah. it broke down a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, actually, that happens with a lot of famous cars. It's uh, like you don't lot. need them to run a long time; you just need them for the shot. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the old Lotus stands for lots of trouble using the series. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk uh, just something that Ben brought up about her death? 
And it's very interesting because even though James Bond has a license to kill, his license to kill is very gendered. Usually villainous women um, are killed off in the films, but he's not the one who does the killing. It's usually a hench person or the villain who does the killing um, because oftentimes the death of women brings up notions of violence against women and that could probably vilify Bond, right? And this is one of the first occasions where Bond does kill a woman, but he does so, it's very much distance. It's not face-to-face, it's not hyper-violent. He literally pushes a button, he's below ground. um, And that's how she sort of goes. But I think it's interesting that um, this is sort of the first major uh, woman that he that he kills uh, in a film. I mean, he twirls Fiona to catch the bullet in Thunderball. I, I, yeah, I that think wasn't that's pre- pretty that, cold. I don't think it. that was premeditated, though. That was like in the moment, whereas this was he was making the decision. Yeah. Well, I think Fiona protecting. might say it was pretty damn personal. <laughs> I'm not meditated, as in it's, it's, it's yeah. you know. I understand. I understand. But okay. And, I, and I'd say it's just about as much about getting rid of the helicopter as it is Naomi. Yeah. Yeah. And when we really? do get uh, to Thunderball, I think it's important to talk about the fact that such a strong woman is literally shot in the back with the, not having the ability to protect herself. So I've got a lot to say about her death because I love Fiona Volpe as a character. So uh, when when we get to uh, Thunderball, I uh, I may let loose and let the klaxon go out. So anyway, <laughs> but that's we'll, we'll take that up then. Um, we can hear uh, Marvin Hamlish's music. He got nominated for an Oscar, another one of the three uh, nominations, but he was up against John Williams. But John Williams was nominated for two movies. He mm-hmm. was nominated for Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, wow. And I remember watching that Oscar show. I'm thinking, well, maybe if John Williams splits his own vote, but no. Mm. <laughs> Williams got it for Star Wars. Um Two point, two point, Calvin, about the geography of the space. Somewhere in there, they have a room with a massive globe on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was always very confused by what this thing was about. It's, uh, yeah, it's all just very abstract. And, um, yeah. One of my favorite micro moments of Bond of all time is when he signals to go left and then turns right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, talking about spoilers. So before the movie came out in the US, it came out to, uh, couple weeks, well, three weeks or so after the British premiere, the LA Times ran a huge story about this car in its Sunday entertainment section because I had a mail subscription to uh, the LA Times at the time. And it's like big publicity, you know, big still from the film. The article talked all about how it worked. Well, it's it's it, the car that goes underwater. It doesn't really, you know, you have to wear a scuba suit in it and all this. I mean, explained everything. It's like today, I, can you imagine like the whining about spoilers about a story <laughs> like that appearing? Yeah. And, but they didn't care at the time. And well, that's, it was just a different era. Oh, he indicates to go right and turns left. Sorry. But um, <laughs> a- Anya Masova stole the blueprints, but then was surprised when it went underwater. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's one of my. It's one of the things that even even the first time as a as a kid watching this, that stuck out to me. You know, I just went. <laughs> but how did she? You know, and uh, look, obviously, you know, as you grow up, you go. Maybe she didn't look at them. She just stole them. 
<laughs> she's she's having flashbacks. Oh wait a minute, I remember that page. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, she 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 didn't. She stole the blueprints. She didn't see that it was a submersible, but she did see all of the, the armaments. She saw the limpet so, mine. Yeah, just the limpet mine. Yeah, just the limpet mine okay. page. Okay, we're back. <laughs> it's, mean, it's, meanwhile, it's compartmentalized we're compartmentalized knowledge. We're yeah. about to have the first of three appearances by that by the drunk guy who is in yeah, real Victor. life an assistant director, Victor Trujansky. Yeah. yeah. So how filmmaking would be done in 2020 is they would CGI the sand to remove the tracks. In 1977, they used a rope and a sweeping brush behind the car. <laughs> Was it for the same guy that swept the road <laughs> uh, in Quantum of Sweeper Man! Sweeper Man! My favorite extra. Yes, it's all pulled up on a rope. Yeah, apparently they didn't like the, like the, the the fish gag. I I think it supposedly that was I, Roger Moore's idea. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. I like it. I like it. It's so cheesy. I yeah, it. yeah. It kind of it's like one of those. It doesn't make any sense, but I like it. Yeah. Well, um, again, it, it's it's dramatic sense versus logical sense. Um, I, I think it's a red question here. We'll see again in Moonraker. So I always, I don't know why, but I always conflate this scene with the scene in Fewer Eyes Only when he says, before you go out on revenge, first right. take two graves. <laughs> I, for some reason, it's the framing, it's it's the kind of the, the tone of the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the set looks the same. So I, I sometimes go, is that, what is he going to, is he going to say the two graves thing? With the, no. Um, but I do, I do think this is one of the, uh, better bits of uh, Roger's acting, and um, mm. it's 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 actually my favorite favorite bit of uh, of, of Roger respond. Uh, and the reason that they did this scene um, was because uh, and took so much time over it is because it was raining that that day, and they were able to just mm-hmm. spend spend a lot of time. You can see out the window; it's just overcast and pouring, pouring with rain. So they're like, "Yeah, no, we'll, we'll just shoot this scene over and over and over again." Well, I believe Until they had to rain. shoot it because it was their relief scene of like, "Oh, if the weather's bad, we'll just go and shoot this." I believe they actually shot it over several days, yeah. which is quite something for you know actors to get back into the you know the right mindset. Of, right, right. I need to pick up mm. where I left off this very you know emotional scene three days ago. Um, I think they do very yeah. well. Um. Berngarten's a lovely spot. If no one's ever been to Berngarten in Austria, um, uh, I've got some posters for for it from from my last trip out there. Mm. Um, did you buy a cigarette lighter? I did buy a cigarette there, a cigarette lighter there at the, the gift shop. It's a lovely, lovely little town. Um, mm. Obviously, it's fictional, but I'm um, just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even lovelier. I, I do. I, I have a kind of a, a fondness for these fictional locations in, in the Bondverse. There's absolutely no reason for it to Bond be fictional has. either. That's the... No, exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but yes, here we get some, get some solid acting. Solid acting from Sir Roger. Um, only undone by the fact that literally 10 seconds after she says, when this mission is done, I will kill you. Um, he, he, they're being dipped down, tied together on a on a on a winch, and he is just uh, gurning at her. 
like, you know, just going, hmm, <laughs> see, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it just, uh, and it does, it does undo this scene just a little bit. Here we go. Yeah. We just had her say that to him, and he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> and she's like, I, I know. you just, you just told me you killed my boyfriend, and now you, you know. isn't this ironic? Mm. That looks like a nice warm day on that summer. <laughs> and Shane Rimmer. How does a picture of a missile taking off in that room? Yeah. Very patriotic. <laughs> it's uh, there's um, there's not a lot of uh, women on submarines, so that's that's why Galvin. I have a question about uh, you know the scene where she's going to be shown to be showering, mm. and you can sort of see through her naked body. Um, is the film suggesting that she had sex with the captain? No, because a no. couple of people I on Twitter were trying to insist no. that well, it happened. There and is I was like, this I don't know. erecting well. submarine shot here, uh-huh. which is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is phallic. Otherwise, why is it there? And then he turns and looks, and it's the question of like, what's going on here? Mm. Yeah. Well, no. he is a rimmer. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, I'm gonna go get another drink. <laughs> uh, do him. Do I think him. I thought I thought that shot when he closed the door. They did a close up of him, kind of. The eye closing following the closing gap. Yeah, I guess they cut that out. Do straight men really react that way when they see boobs in real life? Is that a thing? He Do your eyes to bulge out of your skull? We talked about it he on man- License to Kill. Yeah, he managed to hold on to his clipboard, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, to answer your question, uh, Calvin, I, I, I think I think some men do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is this this is a redress set for um, from the original uh, submarine, right? They just kind of uh, so this is this is the British submarine as as, as well, and will also be the um, the Stromberg submarine interior. They yeah. just built one one subset and just missed it differently and shot it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's not very effective. I do like uh, coming back to what Lisa was saying earlier about seeing Roger in uniform. Um, and you know, I like him in dress uniform, but I really like him in this this mm-hmm. outfit. I, um, I, I, I would love to see uh, Bond back in this, uh, back in this kind of like a- active duty kind of. Uh, uh, uniform, I, I think it looks great. I also love turtlenecks. I think I get that from my dad. My dad is very much a fan of 70s fashion and always had turtlenecks. Anything that slightly resembles a turtleneck that Roger Moore wears, I'm just, I think it's just classy. I think we we have to call it a tactile neck, though, don't we? Isn't that the, the law is now? It, it's called a tactile yeah. neck? Tactical turtleneck. Oh, turtleneck. got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, what?" I'll uh, I'll link you the Archer um, scene where he describes how he invented the uh, the turtleneck as a tactical garment. It's it's quite <laughs> sweet. Um, this this is all model work, and to considering how much of yeah, this, this looks really uh, really good. You know, it looks really good. It, you know, considering that the movie is really selling 
yeah, being sold on on, on these shots. Um, yeah, David, I completely agree. It, it you know, we talked about scale. We talked about yeah, how difficult it, it is to kind of make very, water look very effective. Very often, water doesn't look. Uh, good at all but the the water not so much in these shots but the 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 long shots the the sea looks like it looks like a tanker in the sea it's really really solid and and then we come into one of the the reveals of perhaps one of the best sets in any movie let alone a bomb movie if Um, if they could have gotten this movie out in 1976 i suspect they could have won that art direction oscar I think the only it's, reason they lost it was they were up against Star uh, Wars when Star Wars was a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if it had, if they if they could have gotten it out in Christmas of '76, I bet they they would have won it. This is oh, this is one of my gorgeous. favorite sets of of all time. It's just so with so help beautiful. from Stanley uh, Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly. He was lighting it because. Um, so this is all lit practically, which is again another thing which is kind of uh, uncommon in uh, in sets because usually the top half of a set is nothing. Right, um, it's just lighting grids. You know, they, it's just lighting grids. So they basically, you know, to have an enclosed set like that was something. And this and this basically filled up the entire soundstage, like with millimeters. Well, spare. It, was, it was built. The soundstage was built around it, basically, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So it it. it it's pretty impressive, and then uh, I, I think the uh, God remind me who the uh, director of photography is, and this is it, Claude Renoir. Claude Renoir. Yeah, yeah. So Renoir. But his eyesight, eyesight was going. Yeah, so his eyesight was failing, so they asked um, asked Stanley Kubrick to come in and, and light it on the on the quiet. And well, uh, specifically, it was Ken Adam who asked him because Ken Adam had uh, worked with Kubrick on Strange uh, Doctor Strange and yeah. Bar- and Barry Lyndon. Yeah. In '75, so he had Again, a relationship with being a, being a film which uh, kind of relied on uh, practical lighting uh, to to kind of like light the sets and things. You know, they created a special lens on that film to you know that you could light with candlelight, like light the film with candlelight, basically. So Kubrick certainly knew his lighting. Um, well, yeah, also Kubrick the- Kubrick insisted on secrecy. Nobody must know. Um, yeah. Like Don't he did worry. on the moon landing set. Yeah. Right. I think but, but, I, I, I think if I was telling that story, I wouldn't say that bit of it because it's kind of denigrating your product to say that he didn't want to be publicly associated with it. Hmm. Uh, you know what? It didn't bother me because Kubrick was like weird. He was an odd duck anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it's oh, like, yeah, oh, of course. And also Kubrick's daughter worked on the film. She helped uh, design Jaws's teeth. Mm. That's right. She did. Yeah, little little known tidbit of information. Right, yeah, so that Bill. probably also helped him yeah. coming in to help out Adam lighting the set. This uh, this thing, this, this this light, this uh, uh, camera always reminds me. Uh, so we used, I, I've said this on Twitter the other. Uh, it, it's like you used to have in Marks and Spencers on boots. Right. You used yes. to have like these big big black. Um, kind of like surveillance cameras in these, yes. these globes <laughs> like this, which always is it. Me, uh, me, which, which is a, 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 Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, meanwhile, uh, Bond just gave a line like people, audiences in the 21st century are probably shaking their heads. He says, Smile, you're on candid camera. What the hell are you? 
Well, exactly, dog. They <laughs> <laughs> would say, what are you talking about? It's like this yeah, long ago TV show where he like yeah. caught people unexpected and doing weird things, all this stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like this long ago cultural reference that's in this film. Hmm. Finn is um, Finn is very against the surveillance state um, <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, I am the sky. He doesn't oh, you, like ben, it. Ben, you, you you don't have to be kind. He doesn't like me. That's <laughs> talking. So no, he, look. To be honest, Finn Finn will bark. At, you know, if a drone flies overhead, he he knows. So that's generally what what it is. I was watching um, the behind the scenes thing with the Open University with John Glenn section on it about, and they were. They were basically saying the best thing about the set was the size of it, and the worst thing about it was the size of it because they had all these tracking shots of characters going from A to B, and they just took forever. Yeah. So they had they had to like cut away to all of this kind of like coverage shots of like the missile moving and somebody scratching their head and the monorail, and, and then it would jump back to like them arriving at where they needed the character to be. <laughs> They're still halfway down. Right. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, most of Strongberg's men are in orange because like. There, you know, at one point they were like considering making making this specter, but Kevin McClory was active again. It's like Ooh. we're ripping all that stuff out. Like, cannot possibly be identified with specter. So, hence we have these bright orange uniforms. I actually right. think it's more of a red color. And just to sort of expand mm. on Calvin's point before about having the color palette be sort of the earth and the sea. Um, and and the blues and 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 the browns. Then you have this punctuated red. So you've got the red light in the submarine when you know they're being captured. You have the goons here all dressed in red. And to me, that sort of represents more of like destruction, sort of the destructive capacity of this overall plan, destabilizing sort of the earth and the water. So I sort of just am reading it a little bit more symbolically. Whether we want to talk about it being a dark orange or whatever, um, well, well, but I well, think the it's an key interesting thing was they contrast. Did- I'm sorry. The key thing was they did not want them in all black. Like it's oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So find another color. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, color palette, color palettes of the time were kind of like a little bit punchier. Um, but but also in, in terms of making people stand out on a set like that, you do need mm-hmm. to have uh, pretty strong contrasting colors. Can, can you imagine um, the spectacle? Because otherwise you... Can you imagine the spectacle center that everybody's in banana yellow onesies? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that personally. Yeah, I think that'd that, be would, that would be Yeah, I, I would too. Um, somebody put, like, I think we get on Twitter the number of kind of shots, close up shots of buttons. Yes. And, and yes. It's, I'd never really noticed it before until, uh, until that somebody did that super cut, um, that, that we that we retweeted on Twitter, but yeah. it's okay, so watching like it this, now. It's I'm I'm sorry. In this shot, the Soviet submarine looks like you couldn't possibly get another sub in that mm-hmm. tanker. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, it's like they're a magician's hat. They're pretty good. Um, that's a great shot, isn't it? And mm. like, so when they did, um, so they arranged. This is a real super tanker. Um, yeah, not. That, not in that shot, but like they approached the owners of uh, the Liparis or the Liparis or however you pronounce it. I'm, I'm always very bad at pronouncing things. If anyone's noticed this on this show, it's one thing that I do a lot is, is say things wrong. Um, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, people's names I get wrong all the time. Anyway, um, but that tanker existed, and that, and I think it was something like twenty five thousand dollars a day insurance uh, on it. Hundred thousand um, dollars a day. Oh yeah, so yeah. so it was a ridiculous amount of insurance money that they were supposed to be paying on it, and that was without setting yeah. off any explosions or anything. Yeah. Right, and 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 so, and then, and so then supposedly well, then uh, William Cartledge, the associate producer, went to Derek Meddix. Well, boy, you're going to be doing a minute yeah. miniature. Well, the, the story yeah. also goes it's like, well, if it's that expensive, can we just empty the oil tanker and then use it? And they were like, well, that's actually more dangerous. <laughs> right, yeah. because, there, because if you empty it, there's gas inside yeah. the uh, yeah. fuel. Yeah. Container. Oh, that's such a great line. I, I just love that moment where he gets both of them with the with the same gun. So, <laughs> so uh, it's such a very Bondian moment. This is a great Bondian escape, I have to say. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I love this bit. And onto the monorail, you know, um, part of the monorail trilogy mm. uh, that uh, Gilbert did. Um, this shot is directly taken from uh, You Only Live Twice, isn't it? You know, mm. this. Uh, it's just bigger. This and moment more where they're slicker. coming around, uh, mm. like that's not the volcano layer kind of uh, when they pick up the astronauts. Um, the passengers, please remember to take all their personal belongings with them. Thank you for riding the Stromberg monorail. Bye, you guys. You're just dead. Like, <laughs> you know. Like quite often, Bond does some kind of stealthy stuff or you know something clever. He just walks into the room there and just shoots them. Awesome. So <laughs> you know, there's no the, uh, the the British and the Americans are kept prisoner together. Yeah, the but Russians we don't we don't uh, see the Russians, do we? Getting released? Yeah, we do. I do we? Um, <laughs> I'm, I don't, I don't think, know. I don't no, think we yes, did. Wait, not- well, we we just missed it because there were the okay, the uh, the British were on the one side, and then the Americans and the Russians were on the other side of the monorail. Because uh, okay. you saw two guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. they they opened the hatches at the same time, and the two, two guys two separate opened hatches, fire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but we yeah, don't see the Russians taking part in the uh, storm, the control room either. They're wusses. I'm sorry. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I don't this know the difference that. in all the uniforms, so I'm just, yeah, no idea. At this point, it's hard to keep track. Um, yeah, good is blue and bad is red. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much yeah. what I'm going with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, of these, some of this fighting is just hilarious, though. Like this because they do have this one insert shot. Onto- I'm sorry, I'm about to say, when they eventually get away, they do have this one insert shot of how crowded the submarine is. Right. Mm. The one that takes all those surviving crew members out. Um, oh, okay. There was a British guy. He handed Bond yeah. something. Uh, a magazine. Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, they're, help- they're helping out. I really like this action sequence. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the best. Mm. I just love it because of the scale of the set. Like it's yeah. like an explosion here and little bodies running there and shots. Got, like it's really the, chaotic. Yeah, you're going to be 18 jeeps. When you think of a Bond film and the scale of a Bond film, this is it. Mm. I actually prefer yeah. this to you twice. Okay, now yeah, now. well, also, uh, you know, I, they had been economizing with like diamonds and – um, the man with the golden gun. And so it's like, this time it's like, screw it. We're like, just, mm-hmm. we're going to spend the money this time. And, you know, it's just, 
so like watching this in real time in 77, it had been a while since you saw a big, expansive James Bond action sequence like this. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it, it got people fired up. It makes a difference that Bond is here through much, uh, comparing this to You Only Live Twice, a lot <laughs> of that big action, he's sort of like tucked away in the room with Blofeld and then he's fighting yes. hands and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Here he's like in with the the main yeah. sort of heart of the yeah. action. He's, I, he's, I really he's, he's leading the charge and he's about to, um, when they try, have to get into the headquarters of the ship, he's like obviously playing a key role. Mm. So... Now the film is to be hijacked by this young man. Who you can see people's breath. Actually, I've never noticed that before, but it must have been really cold on this set. Speaking of hijacked, he doesn't do fare too well in the next film either, does he? No, <laughs> no, he does not. Uh, there you go. Well. It's okay. You'll get a job with the RAF <laughs> and lose a Moonraker <laughs> shuttle. Oh, oh! I also like how both uh, Bond and the uh, U.S. captain. Oh. They, they look away with mild concern as a flaming guy falls down. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Ben, did you get a part in this, then? Oh? I think Ben's off sorting out the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> Meanwhile, okay, so Bond coolly says, let's find a nuclear missile and I'll get the arming device. We'll... <laughs> so Ben, ben um, had a, a poll on Twitter this week, which was, "What's the most suspenseful Roger Moore moment?" Mm. I think yes. Octopussy's bomb won, but this yes. was a close, close second. I checked before we recorded, and yeah, I, I voted for the Octopussy bomb as well. Uh, but I do really like this sequence with um, Bond having to. T- I like that we we have this sort of like siege moment where the action kind of gets quiet for a bit. We kind of go into a bit of a trough before it comes back up again um instead of it just being all guns blazing all the time in the climax yes it gives the uh, audience a chance to catch its breath Mm. um but it still moves the story along because the you know the captain of the tanker contacts stromberg and you saw anya like that little grin when you know well things aren't so go aren't going so well boss Mm. and she smiles just a little bit i mean that's a nice moment Mm. I mean, I mean, we were like making jokes about how she slips in and out of her Russian accent. So give credit where credit's due. That's that's a bit of acting without a line, without dialogue. Mm. Just oh, you, you know, you know, I I don't think she's actually that bad in this film. I think where she falls down is the looping, the the voiceover, yes. like after the fact. I think she's just got very flat delivery, and I think um, Lois Childs as Doctor Goodhead in Moonraker suffers from the same. Um, issue and i think that maybe she'd be much better if they just had used the on the set you know recordings instead um, right but, yeah, yeah. We, we, we just passed the blast um because the thing is magnetic it's if it comes in contact everything's gonna blow up um i do like but, the crash zoom into the guy swallowing hard yeah <laughs> yeah yes but again if you did this today it's like bond would like swear up a storm it's like blast is it's perfectly fine. Mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, I was making light of it, but it's perfectly fine. It's <laughs> it the story along. It tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. I love the little eyebrow. Like he has to be so steady with his hands. And like the only movement that like Bond can have is through his eyebrow. It's amazing. Which reminds me, it's like Roger Moore like gets so much 
shade for about his eyebrows, but it's like other it. actors do the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like, um, but, uh, but they don't get commented upon the way Roger Moore does. Mm. Oh, a danger thing on the uh, indicator. Yeah, if it goes into um, the red. You've got another. You've got, if you if it goes into the red, you've got about another minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Shane Rimmer. Oh, yeah, climb up my backbone. <laughs> <laughs> I know my place in this film. That must hurt. I mean, you know, it, again, you know, typically when you think about pyramids and stuff like that, the lighter person on the top, but. You know, Roger Moore doesn't, you know, he's not light as a feather. Like, he stomped on that guy's back. Like, that that must have hurt. Also, I, I do like the way Hamlish uh, works the Bond theme into this bit that's about to come up. And then the way it ends abruptly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I can see why this movie got a, you know, why Hamlish got a nomination. So, and he had, he had already won multiple oscars before this even came out so there are some tracks um, on the cd as as well that aren't actually in the film um i think it was when we talked about casino royale and lisa made the point about how there is you know a track that is called you know vespa's theme and and all that there is a a a track on the spy cd called anya anya's theme pretty much um but i don't think we hear it in the film at any point hmm i wonder what it would be because mm. I think nice. there's nothing distinctive. Yeah, it's quite a nice track, but it's uh, it's just not in here. For when people are watching uh, or listening to this, uh, watching and listening at home, they won't realize that uh, a a huge amount of uh, behind the scenes jiggery pokery has just gone on. (laughs) It's like about three quarters of an hour or something. (laughs) I think I was mentioning the fact that these things used to be in in Marks and Spencer's in Boots, and um, they. they always reminded me of the the, the imperial probe droids. Yes, that, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and this one had to be copper because Ken Adam. Um, right, but what the, he but was I exploring do. new materials. Yeah, <laughs> he used to be in boots. New shapes and new materials. Yeah, was that yeah, actual you know? what CCTV looked like? Yeah, yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! That's exactly what it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I know. I know, for Calvin, that must seem fucking crazy, but uh, <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh, what a fantastical thing they've created for the purpose of this film!" But wow, no, Marks it, and Spencer's nineteen seventy-seven. Huh? Yeah, they had these. They had these giant black orbs that used to watch you, and you could even hear that. You could even sort of hear them moving around and all the yeah. gears and things. So you knew you were under surveillance. I felt that they were a much more kind of effective deterrent. Than yeah, because I, I, I bet most of them didn't even have them. cameras in them. No. <laughs> it was just a little guy. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like a Lancaster bottom. They were just yeah. sitting sit in them. 
Um, Congratulations on your purchase of the tracking system 3000. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond is reading the older he's skipping through, he, yeah, he's, he's skipping yeah. through the warranty pages and the safety <laughs> pages. It's kind of like this. Like how many times does he just it. know exactly what to yeah. do? And here he's like, oh no, actually I need to read the instruction manual to figure this thing out. Right. Compare that to a die another day. Oh, got that mentioned yeah. with the uh, Aston yeah. Martin. Um, he actually yeah. had to read the owner's manual. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget no, to I like, visit I like the, the deli fact that he has to accept the accept the warranty. Um, <laughs> so, do you accept the terms and conditions? The yes. Of the agreement, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, just as an aside, Shane Rumor is like really good in this. Like this is oh, yeah. this is his best appearance in the series. He's been mm-hmm. in a few by this time, but uh, yeah. no, it's great. Oh, no, yeah, he's great in this. Uh, Michael Billington uh, at one point stamps his foot down and says, but Shane Rimmer's been in more. And they went, sorry, <laughs> sorry Michael, you've, 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 blown your, you've blown your cap on this one. Yeah, you've been um, killed on screen, so we can't possibly on screen, so you can't come back. I love the typing on this as well, single, single finger typing. You compare, you compare that to Elliot Carver's one hand. <laughs> it, it's realistic, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> well, well computers to... computers were, re- were were very new in yeah. 77 well, well so, they were new in 67 but, but yes they were a lot slower but, than we're used to yes to, to the point is bond maybe probably hasn't used a computer before to be honest but you know he had a typewriter in his office so yeah i did like this kind of idea of them crossing yeah, you know, even, even though it's it's completely wrong to be on the map, they should be going in a straight line to each other. Yeah, yeah, because they're showing they're showing vertical trajectory on a flat anyway. <laughs> but I do, yeah. I do love the way it's visualized on a globe. Like that I, is I, so, I, such a good point. Is it even better but on I think the map? That it's, it's visually it explains, like it explains what's going on, and it's on sort of mm. this globe, mm. and it's sort of giving us the scale, even though it's completely wrong. But mm. I like what it's showing us because otherwise, like I don't know how we would understand them crossing, like don't cross passing, the screens. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it yeah. generates a bit more tension, which is good as well. Otherwise, they would have just passed and that's it. But just that little bit of animation yeah. of them coming closer and closer, it just yeah. creates that bit of tension. Also, they can it, use it, some stock don't... footage. And, uh, but, but meanwhile, yeah. the Atlantic Ocean is like an irradiated yeah. wreck by now. I was going to say, cod stocks have just taken a dive. Oh, go to the submarine, guys. Spread the word. Don't worry about but 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 Chief, there's like Great dust falling from this. Don't worry about that. Let's just get <laughs> By the way, the, I think the Russian guys are in white, by the way. And like the uh, the white t shirt and white pants. I think those uh, are the Codstocks is the name uh, that they will give later on to a Russian defecting general. <laughs> <laughs> Really tickled. Oh, and now the sub is really crowded with like uh, uh, yeah. all those crews intermingling, except the yeah. Russians. 
We yeah. just leave, leave them, them on the show. No, leave them they're, they're, they're there. The white. Oh, never mind. Leave them. Leave them behind. They will die on the blue for country. <laughs> so I'm still laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't get better. Than it. You can all you can all stop watching now because there won't be yeah, a, there won't be a better pump. <laughs> So one of the guy with the stopwatch um, in the sequences from is um, oh what's his name? But he's in the sandbaggers as the American contact. This the... oh man, I, I love this polished commentary that we give. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's Bob we Sherman. Like... Bob yeah, Sherman, it... the actor. He plays the CIA agent in the sandbaggers, and the sandbaggers is based, you know, ripped off Fleming a lot. But it was based in, you know. Real spycraft of the 60s and 70s. I want our listeners to know that we sit here with painstakingly written out notes. Um, <laughs> well, some and, of and us we do. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we don't have the same archives as you, though. So, yeah. <laughs> true enough. True enough. <laughs> I deserve that one. Um. Yeah. <laughs> And this is the tanker. We were talking about it earlier. That in the in the theater after the premiere, they were like, "How did you do this on the tanker?" Yeah, because <laughs> they you, actually the like, owners of the tanker thought the it owners. was the tanker. Mm. Yeah, they were like, "What? How did you do this?" And it's like, "It's a, it's a model." You didn't notice when you model, fucking but... ship up. It was like year. It was like years <laughs> later. I saw a still of the uh, special effects crew with the model of the tanker. Like so, you have it's like huge. Yeah, it yeah, was it's like an, it's, it's seven, eight feet. Thirty feet. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's um it's but it's very, very detailed and um I obviously the bigger scale that you can get, um the better in terms of looking right with with, with water. Sadly, effects. the whole sequence is let down with the back projection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, it's probably probably the easiest effect to get right and Yeah. And and yet that looks all the model shots look incredible. So those guys came back you know, we'd process their footage and it was like, wow, this looks great. And then the other people were just like, yeah, we'll just do a bit of shitty rear project. Actually, Another Jaws reference. Some yeah. assistant director said, wait a minute, we forgot to get that last shot with Roger and Shane. Guys, go, come back. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of. But no, the model shots of, it, of the tanker going down to the bottom of the ocean were great. They're, they're wonderful. Yeah, it all looks it genuinely it holds up today and i think even if you like you know i think models are always going to have more there's going to be more realism and solidity to them than a cgi shot um uh, you, you know I, I, think, uh, I i i agree completely i i hate the look of movies at the moment because they they just look like cartoons to me and yeah, and it, yeah. it, it is that lack of uh you know, even even though physics. Yeah, 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 lack of physics a lot of the time, yeah, because they 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 do screw up the physics. You're right, but um, it's uh, there's a very big difference between model shots, which you know most most of, or at least a lot of the time, you can tell that they are models, but at least you can tell that they are uh, physical. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and there's also something about you know the craft of, of of making those models and um and and knowing how to film them as well which i think mm. is 
you know, slightly lost. But, you know, when we were doing the Tomorrow Never Dies uh, commentary and there's some of the shots of the sunken Devonshire, I mean, those, those look fantastic still and they still hold up. Just as I think the, the shots of uh, the Liparis, um, or Liparis, <laughs> still hold up. Um, Liparis. Also, you know, some of these shots, yeah, Liparis, um, this, like this foreground miniatures that they've done here, some of these, sh- like we were talking about before, just the way that you frame it, you can, you can shoot anything in CGI now. And I think some of the decisions that you have to make around model shots and kind of, kind of mean that you get a better um you know, more interesting of, aesthetic because it's restricting yeah. the shots you can make right yeah yeah i think that's i think that's what i'm trying to say thanks james for, for for being more articulate than me um but yeah um oh we were talking about uh, diamonds the other day and uh, you know just how james puts his a bond sorry we're on first name terms uh puts his, <laughs> puts his feet either side of the 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 uh the, the lift or the elevator uh, for our American friends. Um, and I, I think that this is kind of like a reference to that, hmm. you know, that he, that he kind of, he's always aware that. Lift but he arm, did see earlier. He did see the detached arm in the tank though. That's true. That gave him, that gave him he away. He learned his lesson. Um, oh, in real life though, I, Roger Moore got, got badly burned in the filming of this sequence. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, yeah, he, as he put it, yeah. he had a third, I won't say the exact quote, but a third archive. I saw, I saw <laughs> the outtake like, Ooh, ouch. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, I'm not, I'm confused. He, also Ro- Roger didn't, Roger didn't like the scene either. Did he? No. Cause he thought it was too cold blooded Yeah, for his bond. This is going to sound really weird. dumb, but like, wh- how did he get injured? Am I like just not? Uh, his, his what you, what you just saw, he got burned in his. They set the pyrotechnics on the chair off too early, and he was still sitting. Oh, on okay. Uh, yeah. I'm with you. Okay, yeah. Woo. He, yeah. he moved Sorry, too late. That's what he said. That's <laughs> exactly what he said. Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> And here we are, a, a part of the base we haven't seen yet. Right. Mm. Yeah. Also, yeah, okay, where's still, this? It's on the desk. Okay, star, while, we were, uh, while we were not <laughs> recording, I mentioned Roger Moore was the guest host of The Tonight Show uh, on NBC promoting this film. And um, a clip from this upcoming sequence was uh, it was like the first thing you saw. It's like, I missed the very beginning. Like, I came down. To, got the TV on and I saw the middle of the clip. It's when um, Bond and Anya are trying to get into the um, escape pod. Yeah. Um, And then they, you know, and then the clip ended and like you saw Roger Moore standing where Johnny Carson normally would be standing like big applause and like people like really hyped up. So um, this set's enormous and they've used it. What? Twice. Yeah. And and it seems incredible that you would make a set of this kind of size and uh, complexity. And look at all the lighting as well. It's yeah, lovely. I mean it's it's beautiful set actually, and I think you know people probably you know when whenever you see a set like this uh, in in kind of conjunction with like a an even better set like the you know the tanker docking 
Mm. Sorry, the, uh, the 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 submarine pens there. It's, you know, these kind of like lose a little bit of their edge, but this is this is a really an amazing set. Mm. And like a lot of Bond films, they create these incredible environments <laughs> and then and then don't really use them. And Bond smiles, and Jaws mm. doesn't get it. Oh, there you go. What, what were they going to use the magnet for? Um, you know what? They, you know what? I suspect in real life, I think they got this idea from a Matt Helm movie called Murderer's Row, where the villain had a um, big iron plate in his head and a, <laughs> a magnet like grabbed him by his top I, of his head. And, and I suspect I, that's I, the I, idea. I think fish are full of iron. Right. <laughs> 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 That's, that's just a fishing. Okay. Man eating shark, <laughs> shark eating man. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Again, going back to Jaws. Jaws versus Jaws. Yeah. Jaws versus Jaws. Mm. Oh, um, there he goes. Uh, uh, it is pretty yeah, gruesome, though. Yeah. It is pretty gruesome. I'm surprised they don't kind of just swim out together. Like, if he just held onto the dorsal and just kind of like, <laughs> like, got like, a, like alien versus predator at the end, where they just yeah, hand in hand, yeah, team hand up. in hand, yeah. <laughs> There's a lovely shot coming up of when they're um, they're escaping Bond and uh, Anya, um, and all this water is kind of cascading through, and they're trying to get into the escape pod, um, and. She's in obviously this very busty dress, and there's a moment where she like Bond is looking looking away, and it just looks like he's kind of terrified of boobs. Um, <laughs> he also looks straight into the camera for a little second. I do love yeah. it. It's like they're both clearly terrified of what's going on and, around them, and it really shows. And that's the clip that they showed when Roger Moore was on the Tonight Show as the host, huh. as the guest host, and. Um, I just wish I could have seen it from like, I mean, I only got there like a minute late, but like, oh, it was just If like, this had been a Daniel Craig movie, we'd have had a lingering close up on that watch <laughs> as, yeah. as, he, as he attempted to open that door. Hmm. There is a moment as well where he just like... Oh, look at those clips. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, as- yeah, that's the clip. And it ends like when they're in the most peril. And, and then the, uh, it ends in like... Roger Moore's in the middle of the stage and the audience is applauding mm. wildly. Like, they loved it. As soon as it all gets open, he just buggers off into it and leaves Anya yeah. behind. Just here we are, Bye. just flailing around yeah. in the water. Grab- oh, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. And then I guess his stunt double returns to be the arm that pulls her back. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in 1980, like, okay, uh, this film was shown on... uh, ABC in the fall of 1980. And so when it was over and the end tiles were going, suddenly you heard Roger Moore saying, my name is Bond, James Bond. I'll be back in a minute. And then when you came back from commercial, here was Roger Moore out outdoors somewhere with this escape pod. And then he like whips mm-hmm. out the little uh, cigarette case from Moonraker, like the little <laughs> X-ray thing inside. And he like, 
turns back to the escape pod. Oh, uh, Anya's in there with, or Barbara's in there with Ringo or something. And like, what? <laughs> and, this, and this thing is like an introduction for ABC celebrating the fifth anniversary of Good Morning America, which Im- immediately followed the movie. And it's like, hmm. well, I guess Roger got a little extra money for this, but. Um, I think um, I think this is a very interesting thing that you know the, the, the entire build-up of Anya's character has been you know that she loves this agent and she's a very capable agent and she's finally gonna um, commit the the thing that she the, you know the act that she promised that she would do earlier on in the film um, and it's all kind of Bond's survival at this point is just basically down to the fact that he's sort of irresistible to women and charming. And mm. so it kind of wipes wipes a lot of her character's kind of arc away. And, oh, and also, a, uh, Cubby know. and Dana Broccoli. Oh, okay, all right, this is a good ending. Mm. Mm. Uh, two weeks after the death of a lover, she's like, <laughs> "Oh, <yeah>. well. <laughs> you did save my life. Therefore, I <laughs> do this." Everybody's so cynical. And, He's in love. And this, <laughs> and this line, this line christened the original forum. Yes, uh, it did. And um, you know, the head of the KGB can go into a British British, ship. British warship, yeah, <laughs> with the Minister um, of Defense by his side. <laughs> so I have I have a signed portrait of uh, Roger uh, for my fortieth birthday. Uh, which uh, he he inscribed, keeping the British end um, keeping the British end up, um, which uh, I was very happy about. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I was. Uh, that's that's my little um, little okay. Roger thing. Um, it's my We're my pri- my, my possession. I- <laughs> oh, okay. When Marvin Hamlish passed away. One of the, I saw this comment on Facebook said, oh, this was like unforgivable. Hi, this part right here with the these guys, you know, like he should be ashamed. And like I wanted to tell the guy, dude, you realize like he's just now reaching room temperature, right? Like this is like a little <laughs> inappropriate. Like, okay, it, it, he said it was unforgivable. It's like, okay, it's it might be the bad choice, but it's, oh, you know, like murder is unforgivable. Group. Rape is unforgivable, but... Who I saw was, that too, David. The Egyptian folkman group. <laughs> yeah, Ben, we've got who it. Was, um, who was, I, I'm going to look for their guitar was, tabs later. <laughs> who was who, um, who was Felicia, by the way, that credited higher than Q on? on yeah, well, the... Michael Billington. Michael Billington was credited higher than nearly everybody, yeah. and he was only in it for a few seconds. <laughs> Felicia was the lady at Fakesha's place in Egypt, I right. believe, that yeah. one that got shot and she was. The bed. What, was the how she? Bye, Felicia. Um, yeah. <laughs> how, how come? How come she's higher higher up the, the list right. than agents? Than the lawyers? Agents, they negotiate agents. this stuff. Yeah. Mm. Uh, secret agents. Yeah, it's because when you were um, on Mission Impossible Two, you, your agent didn't do a good job about getting <laughs> higher on the cast. <laughs> If you had a better agent, you'd been in the main titles, Ben. <laughs> My agents were. Terrible. And Ben Williams as um, as bystander. 
That's bystander number one. Um, so at this point, they they had already agreed to bring Lewis Gilbert back for the next movie, mm. but thought they were going to do Fioras only. Mm. God, and Lu- uh, Lewis Gilbert Fioras only would have been a thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. God. Yeah, but um, here's the thing, though. A, a for your eyes only following this film would not have been like the for your eyes only we got in '81. It's no. it's title yeah. only. It's. I love for your eyes only so much, and I'm glad I'm glad that we got the for your eyes only that we that we did get. And as much as I love uh, Lewis's uh, three movies, um, I'm glad that it was kind of it was the three movies that we got rather than. Uh, um, I'm just struggling to find out how you put a monorail into Fiora suddenly (laughs) well that's what I was just saying because you know then it was uh, in probably the same way that they struggled to put a monorail into Moonraker yes well yeah we'll we'll, we'll gloss over that won't we (laughs) I think that was an interesting thing because like when you've like so just to just to clarify I I was commissioned to write uh, three three movies on uh, Lewis Gilbert did um, and they were called loosely the monorail trilogy because each one featured a monorail um, and it was about halfway through writing Moonraker that I got onto James and went you know there's not a monorail in this movie it's just a, it's just a, it's just a few cars tied together and we were like yeah but <laughs> it's spiritual <laughs> it's a spiritual it's monorail. close enough right it's close enough <laughs> so anyway there you go Me- meanwhile um with this film, there was like an early, uh, early poster. It's the same art we would see, but there were like two major changes. Uh, one said starring Kurt Jurgens introducing Barbara Bach. And that same credit was on the back cover of the novelization, at least my cover of the novelization. Um, but then the more interesting one, it was like the uh, motion picture credits and nothing to do with the actors. It was like, producer, director, writer. And then this poster, this early poster said, assistant to producer, Mike Wilson. Meanwhile, Ken Adam, who's, uh, who had been on the posters for both You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Are Forever, doesn't make the poster for this film. Yeah, yeah. The, the production designer that would be Oscar nominated yeah. for this film didn't make the poster, but assistant, yeah. assistant to producer did. Yeah, and... and <laughs> And if that and, tell you everything you need to know about how the film industry works. Right. And so then Wilson's credit came off the final poster, but I suspect Adam like remembered that. And uh, so then when Moonraker's poster came out, both Wilson had a credit, <laughs> Ken Adam had a credit, William Cartridge had a credit on the poster. So um, I suspect there's uh, some behind the scenes uh, trauma involved with that, but. But that's just speculation on my part. Says, um, talking behind, I'm about to say, says Bill the Weber, the expert. But. <laughs> yeah, the expert, Bill. With um, your archive. <laughs> <laughs> but, Bill, um, can am I being – can you hear my audio? Yeah, 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 yeah I, can I can hear you. Oh, okay. No, sorry. It's just I've cut out so many times. I wonder if I'm still here. Um, it's interesting that we did this this particular film, and so far in the commentary, we haven't really talked about uh, the departure of Harry Saltzman mm-hmm. and ha- and how that affected uh, the franchise going forward and the, and the selling of the shares to MGM. Um, and oh, UA uh, uh, to UA um, to to become MGM. 
and I guess um, you know, won't, oh, you know, we won't linger on it because it, it it could be a, a full podcast in its in itself. But I will say, this is really the last classic kind of Saltzman uh, broccoli production. Um, well, not really, is it? I mean, you know what I mean. Like this is this marks the kind of the the, the turning point in the in the franchise in the series. Of, well, uh, there of actually was there actually was a um, trade ad trade publication ad at one point uh that had broccoli and saltzman presenting and guy hamilton yeah. directing because he was signed to originally direct and then they and then the split happened and uh hamilton exited mm-hmm. uh and then yeah, yeah. Uh, then hamilton was going to direct superman but that didn't work out either um Right. I mentioned earlier how Carrie Bates of DC Comics had been signed to do a script. And I remember even thinking this at the time when I was in high school or college, thinking about, oh, that's weird how a guy who's been working on Superman is going to do James Bond and a guy who's been working on James Bond is not going to do Superman. And it didn't work out for either one of them, as it turned out. But uh, that show business. This was a giant gamble, this movie. Absolutely. Wasn't it? Um, so it's not just the whole um, producer split. I mean, UA also got 50% of the bond rights temporarily, and Eon Danjak, sorry, got them back in the 80s, didn't they? But um, in terms of the ownership of the, the character. Um, Golden Gun, released in the States, went from, you know, Live and Let Die is 20-something million admissions to 10 the audience literally cut in half um, and then you had a producer split an ownership you know split and then you know what do you do at that point and a wait and a delay well put basically all your chips down mm. this was the all-in move on this film just to reinforce your point so like when golden gun came out it was out for like two maybe three weeks and then suddenly it was like part of a double feature with thunderbolt and lightfoot which was a Clint Eastwood film done for UA. Mm -hmm. So like you went from being like the big new James Bond film to being part of a double bill. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. My point was, you know, the box office had, you know, been cut in half. You'd lost your producing partner. There was a change of ownership and a delay. And, you know, there was... Roger, Roger, Roger was contracted for his Roger was contracted for his third, um, and he got five percent of this movie, didn't he? Uh, yeah. So it it was a it was a brilliant move. This movie. Yeah, um, it's it's. I think it's. I think it really marks a, a, a big turning point, um, and it could have gone either way. And I think it's really interesting that it. You know, when you've got, a, you've got, as Bill said earlier, you know, a dozen writers on this movie. It's a, it's a kind of a, an all-in gamble. It's where you kind of, you, you know, shake the dice and hope that you you roll double sixes or whatever. And and the fact is that it did come up that. And you know, despite all the problems, when you know we talked earlier about Bill, Bill said about the, uh, you know, the pre-title sequence where the, you know, they lost most of the footage. And they only had that one shot. There were so many kind of problems that were, were happening going along. Uh, so many writers involved. This could have been a, a bad movie. This could have been 
you know, mess of a film, really. Uh, the fact that it is and remains one of the most entertaining and enjoyable Bond films. Uh, and really iconic. And iconic. And it just goes to show, you know, that sometimes the magic just happens and sometimes everything just comes together. And I think, you know, this, this remains one of the um, my favorite Bond films, um, partly because of, of what it, you know, the, the resonance of what it, what it meant at the time of seeing it. But I still think it just stands up. It just stands up as a really entertaining um, kind of, you know, matinee kind of Bond movie. And I think, um, you know, it's not without its flaws and faults, but, it, you know, of many of the Bond films that have kind of come subsequently, I think it stands up better than many of them. By, by the way, in terms of um, the era at the time, um, you don't think about reels anymore, but uh, in, the, in this day, yes, you had actual film reels. In the huh. Midwestern U.S., there was like a screw up in the soundtrack on one reel in terms of it turned out to be the reel with the uh, Lotus chase and the helicopter and all that. And the sound was like out of sync with the action. And I know because I, I saw it. I didn't see it just once. I saw it two or three times. Um, that actually happened. And like, I can't even imagine that happening today. But um, yeah, there was like, and I, I eventually heard later the story. It was like, yeah, you know, there was like some kind of mishap in the editing of the reels. And the, the Midwestern U.S. got bad reels and that happened. Mad reels. Yeah. yeah. One bad reel. Like some... Oh, bad reels. I thought he said mad reels. I no, that, no, that bad, bad reels. Like see. one bad reel they, and it had to be one of the most critical ones of the film. Um, it sounds like something that, that, that high school kids would say in the 80s. <laughs> bad reels, man. Bad reels. <laughs> so. So Calvin, your your, your Spy Love Me video review just got taken out of copyright jail. Yes. Um, yeah. So how how do you feel about this? As we haven't had the opportunity to watch that yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I, I love this. This is one of my very favourite Bond films. I think it's this is what I like. I like the big bombastic action and the silliness <clears throat> and the campiness and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like this is one of the most fun records we've had as a group for some time. I know that we sort of you know poke fun at it here and there and call out you know inconsistencies and silly moments here and there. But I like that about Bond, uh, or at least for a, a kind of Bond. I like just to watch it and have a good time. And I always have a great time with this. I think uh, Anya is a real missed opportunity to do something really great with that character. I think that it's so fantastic in concept, having these agents who are equals of each other. And then eventually there's a love story between them and all that kind of stuff. But she just doesn't get to, she's an equal in name only. And then it's a shame that she's not around for the climax. I think they improve on this character with Dr. Goodhead in Moonraker, where they do basically the same thing uh but but, but that's a, you know i otherwise i think it's a real great piece of entertainment a real classic bond film i i love watching this calvin i don't disagree with anything you just said but at the time as someone saw it for saw this movie first run it was still a big step ahead compared with what we had what we had before mm, yes mm. you know honey was honey rider was like in fleming character and pussy galore was and all that 
but this was the first time where the filmmaker filmmakers came up with their own character and mm. it was a big advancement at the time in the context of the time and like mm. you said holly goodhead is like probably more capable but um it was still a big change just in mm. in that context mm. Mm. says the old man <laughs> oh no i totally yeah I, I i totally get that i it's yeah i understand that she's sort of like the stepping stone that they needed to sort of get yes, towards for others, like, you know yeah. you know dr goodhead and Wei Lin, who i think are far more bonds equals than um well than any of them, really. but, but interestingly um they tried to bring her back in scripts down the road several oh, times including hmm. a view to a kill yeah including a view to a kill yeah mm. Which would have been, I think, would have been quite a, a, a sweet little thing. But one of the, the, the problems with that is that, um, you know, uh, uh, God, what's her name? Um, Pola Nova. Pola Ivanova. Pola Ivanova. There you go. Thank you, Calvin. Um, but Pola Ivanova's kind of like, uh, you know, it would be it would be a shame, really, if Anya was re- was kind of reduced to that kind of. Gag, really. Yeah, double taking with Gogol in the car away from. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I do, I do think she's a great character. I don't think she, I, this isn't supposed to be a criticism at all. She wasn't an actor. Barbara Bach wasn't an actor. Um, she she acquitted herself pretty well, considering you know it's a big, big production and and um, big kind of shoes to sort of step into so i think she did a pretty good job all things considered um you know she's not my favorite actor uh in the in the series but i think she did you know she acquitted herself well um but yeah i i think it's i think overall she's it's a great film and she's she's good in it uh you know and i think um i think I think she has her own kind of legacy that she kind of, uh, you know, has for the franchise. And, and in a lot of ways, I think it's it's a good thing that they, she, they didn't bring her back and kind of mm-hmm. sull, sully it in any way. What do we think about Roger in Spy Love Me? Because to me, this is the one that is, you know, if you were like, pick out an 8x10 still a Roger's Bond, it's from the Spy Love Me usually. You know, <laughs> and uh, actually one of the TV commercials they had in the US anyway, it was like Roger Moore in a tuxedo said, my name is Bond, James Bond. You, you've been with me on nine of my missions. Now it comes to my most deadliest and blah, blah, blah. It was yeah. like, it was great. It was just like, whoa. That was like a great commercial. And Yeah, and we pointed out in the country, he was 50 when he did yeah. this. Does not, yeah. does not look. No. Mm. No, he looks, he looks fantastic. And, um, you know, when you compare and contrast Roger at, at forty nine fifty, with um, Connery doing Diamonds of Forever, um, you know, Roger Roger definitely looks like he's kind of more in his prime, I guess. Just real quick on that commercial I cited, it was like again, you can't count a commercial as continuity, but it was like such a great line. But you've been with me on my. You have been with me on nine of my missions. Now comes my most deadliest, et cetera, et cetera. It was like, that was like a really nice touch because everybody knew this was the 10th film. And um, 
no, it, it was like a great spot and it just, it, I was sold watching it. So Lisa, you with us? I'm still here, just sort of listening in. Um, it's interesting, you know, when I think about the spy who loved me, you know, on my James Bond course, I have to pick what films make the course and what films don't. Um, and I have selected Moonraker over the spy who loved me for as like mandatory watching for my students. Um, I do like the spy who loved me for, for, for a lot of reasons, but I also, when it comes to female representation, I think there's some limitations. I think that there's some iconic moments, but like uh, my blood, um, it, it, it certainly races more for a film like Moonraker, but I see this film as being a stepping stone towards it, a stepping stone towards more blockbuster style action that was coming, um, to the forefront around sort of the late 1970s. And so I do like the action at the end of this film. Um, one thing I was thinking about when we were um, watching the end is just like how dangerous the destruction of the ship actually looked. Um, mm -hmm. And I always sort of raise that. So if I actually watch something and I'm scared for the people involved, then probably you know, it may have been a little bit risky, uh, but I love having a beautiful big set and I love seeing it destroyed at the same time. There's there's some sort of satisfaction. <laughs> it's, like, it's like making a puzzle and you put this puzzle together and then like destroying it at the end. It kind of hurts, but it feels good. And so like I- Like a domino rally. Yeah. So I like that. I like that component of it. So for me, this is a film that I think really turned the page when it came to- you know, the more era and shifting into sort of a more like a little bit of a different style of, of Bond film as they're sort of venturing off on their own in their own concepts. Um, and it is a film that, you know, when uh, you ask people, oh, you know, what what more film do you want to see? The Spy Who Loved Me usually gets to be on, on the top of a lot of people's lists. And so uh -huh. hopefully we've done a, a pretty good job of going through it. And I think our demeanor and the amount that we've laughed through it really has to do with how much we've enjoyed watching and talking about well, this yeah. film. Except for the half of it when we were talking about something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is kind of a, an odd film for me because I I saw it when it first came out and I, I, I've mentioned it before, but I, I first knew there was a, a new Bond film coming out because I saw um, an advert in Spider-Man for the, the Corgi uh, Lotus and... Uh, and it's, and it's said you know something like yeah, coming this summer the the, uh, the corgi and the movie and so uh, I, I I was keyed into Bond because you know I I had I'd been reading the books I had seen the Man with the Golden Gun on the big screen which was my first ever Bond um, in between the the two films they had started showing the Sean Connery films on TV. And I, I'm not sure whether I'd seen Goldfinger by then or Thunderball. Uh, I, I, I don't remember that well, but, uh, you know, it, it certainly had me excited that the, this film was coming out. And when I went to see it and um, uh, I loved it, absolutely loved it. And, uh, and so 
a certain part of me still loves it because of that. But uh, when I try to watch it, uh, I don't have the same eyes. And with The Man with Golden right. Gun, for example, uh, you know, I, I know I, I bleat on about that and about how much I love it, but I, I, somehow I always see that through the same eyes that I saw it, it through the first time I saw it. And so it's just an eight-year-old or 10-year-old or whatever watching the film. Um, with with The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, it, it's not, I, I've grown up somehow. And I, I don't know, I, you know, it, it'd be great to, to watch the, all of these films the way that you first saw them, but I, I can't do that mm-hmm. for every film. And I, I have no idea why that happens with The Man with the Golden Gun other than it was the first Bond film I, I saw. So, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, I, I, I'm a bit mixed about it. Uh, I, it, it, I I agree with Lisa that uh, the I, I would love to see a, a much stronger female lead in it, and uh, I, I think that's one of the things that lets it down for me is that uh, uh, she, she's a bit underwritten, a bit wasted. You, you know what I think, though. She is about as far along as you could expect in 1977, at least in a series produced by Albert, Albert R. Broccoli. Sure, yeah. In in yeah. The, in terms of Eon, it was a big step. Was it a big step for others? Not so much, but it it's still a um, notable. It's still a notable. Oh, how I want to say it's a notable step at the time in the context of the times. I mean, certainly when you look at the previous three co-stars, you know, Tiffany Case, who sort of, you know, fires a machine gun and jiggles off the end of a <laughs> oil rig, uh, <laughs> Solitaire, a Merry Goodnight. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a yep. step up. Yeah. Well, in well, in well, fact, I was about to compete. say, I'm sorry, I was about to say there was a documentary done at the time and I've seen, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen clips from it. Like Lewis Gilbert is like incredibly proud of himself. Oh, she's as equal in every way and blah, 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 blah. It's like, uh, Lewis, maybe you believe that at the time, but like not, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter. It just, it, it, it works in the context of the film in this time. Could it have been better? Yes. But, uh, but it was an important first step, I think. Yeah, there, there, there was a there was a documentary about it, which was screened on British TV. I, I think it was the year after, or, or possibly two years after, and I, I think I caught it a couple of times. And uh, and I, I'm thinking it was on ITV, but uh, I, I can't remember many of the details. But uh, I do well, remember, you know, a lot of machine gun action I, and stuff like that. I think we're talking about the same thing, David. And yeah, like yeah. one of the things Lewis Gilbert is incredibly proud of, oh, Bond is working with a Russian. Oh, can you imagine this? Well, uh, Lewis, uh, more than a decade ago, this happened on US TV, but I won't cite the example because the klaxon would come down. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. No, Clarkson, I did not give the title. No. It's like, it's now turned into like Macbeth. We're calling it the Scottish play. I think everybody knows a book. <laughs> but you're right, Bill. I mean, it's like the, the idea is a complete knockoff, isn't it? Anyway. 
Avant Cool. The only difference is they change the sex of the Russian nuts. Exactly. Should we do some nominations? Ben unfortunately had to go, but he has mailed in his vote for a view to a kill. Ah. We are in a shrinking pool of eight movies. Okay, hmm. so Ben did a view to a kill. I am not going to say Spectre because I do not want to be the skunk at the party. So I will say, have you only lived twice? Okay, what am I going to go David, have you two, uh, the man with two, the golden you gun, David, choose. you know you want to do it. <laughs> Bill's chosen for me. <laughs> I should have chosen that myself, but. <laughs> What's Lisa going to do? Is she going to split the more vote three ways? Or, no. Uh... Uh, no way. She's not going to pick split. Spectre. I know that. It's not Spectre, but I'm going to split the Connery vote. Ooh. Yay. I'm going to go for Thunderball. Ooh. Mm. What? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's interesting mix. No idea where this one is going to go. No I like idea. that, though. Well, when we get down to this, you know, we're down to like the last few. It's like, yeah, it's hard to tell, hard to predict. All right. I'm, I'm going to guess that Young Live Twice is going to sneak it. Okay. Mm. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Um, I'll say bye for Ben because he's already gone. And thanks <laughs> very ben. much, everybody. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. Okay. Bye. bye. Oh, bit of bush.